Hello, everybody. This is Joshua Hatton with One Nation Under Whiskey Podcast. I'm joined today, and I'm joined as always, even in this time of, of COVID-19 and, and the grip that, it's, that it has on the world right now, I am still joined by Jason Johnston Yellen. He's undeterred. He will join it's me. It's true. Yes. It's true. It's, a, it's an amazing time to be living through, but here we are trying our best increasing the number of podcasts we put out on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. No. I think that's going to work when we both go back to full-time work, well, we're full-time not, travel. We're not increasing the number of podcasts on a weekly basis. It's not. We're not adding more in a single week. Yeah. The week that we don't do any podcast, we're doing one. That's an increase of one. Uh-huh. And a monthly basis, not a weekly basis. So we're doing four a month instead of two a month. Correct. That's not an increase? It's an, it's an increase, but it's not a weekly increase. It's a monthly increase. If you're talking weekly increase, then we're increasing f- like you would have more than one in one week. Every second week, we increase from zero to one. Uh-huh. That's a weekly increase. I think it all depends. It's not a weekly increase. <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of like, like how bi-weekly can mean two different things, right? Now, that, that part, I will not disagree with you. So um, Same as bi-monthly and bi annual. Yep. But but no, we are we are increasing on a weekly basis. There's no denying that. 0 to 1 is an increase. Z- if you had no casks uh-huh. and I gave you one cask, mm-hmm. would you see that as an increase in your number of casks? Well, it depends. If you gave me two casks <laughs> per month, but then increased it to four casks per month, I would say you know, speaking in in monthly terms, we have increased, but we haven't increased and- in and what if I sold those casks to you on a weekly basis? Uh-huh. You would see two of those weeks, there was no increase. You went from one cask to one cask. Mm-hmm. But the weeks where you had no casks and you went to one cask, you would see an increase in those weeks. You know what, Jason? That That's true. <laughs> and and I, <laughs> I like the way that you look at it. I, I think in the end that we're both correct. <laughs> 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 we'll both be correct if you agree that I'm correct. And I and I will concede that point, Joshua. Okay. <laughs> I would only agree if you know to you being correct if you agree that my statement is the most correct. If your statement is that Jason is correct, I agree with you wholeheartedly. <laughs> Listen, I have a very important question for you. Oh boy. Okay. How how long have you been home now? Well, if you remember, I, I cancelled all travel for February because my eldest was having his bar mitzvah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my last trip was when I returned uh, from our UK trip with you. So tail end of January, first day or two of February. Okay. Uh, and the last big trip that I went on was actually to Chicago in either late February or early March. So... Let's just call lockdown being from early March until now, so a bit over Mm -hmm. a month. Let's call it 45 Mm -hmm. days, okay? Okay. Now, for the past 45 days, minus eight for Passover, I've been looking at my whiskey shelf, Mm -hmm. and I have had, for as long as I can remember, any time when I don't know what I want to drink, I say, you know what? I'm going to do a spring bank. And I'll pour a Springbank, and that will always satisfy. Mm-hmm. Springbank is my favorite distillery. You know this. Imperial is my second favorite distillery. That's the one I collect the most. But I have found f- 
over this period that anytime I reach for Springbank, I put it right back. Ooh. And like that was always the safe choice for me. And then I, hmm. I'll put it in my glass and I'll nose it and I'll say, oh, that smells nice. I'll take a sip. And then I say, you know what? I'm just not in the mood for this. And the only thing that I can say, you know, that's different is just I've been home for 45 days and and there's been no change in, in you know, in my life traveling from here to there. And, and I'm just curious, have you experienced the same, so, you know, something similar where something that you know is a surefire thing, say, you know what, geez, I don't know what I want. No, but more because my home drums often look very different than my sharing with other drams or jumping on a Zoom dram uh, or yeah. being out and about drinking with people drams. Like at, at home, I actually reach um, for the Glasgow blend a lot. The Glasgow, which is, oh, the Great King Street. The Compass Box, yeah, Great King Street Glasgow yep. blend. And um, it's 43 or 46% yeah, alcohol. I think 46 Got great, great Lafroy component to it though, mm-hmm. and and I I reach for that a lot. I reach for Oak Cross from Compass Box a lot, and the one that I've been reaching for during lockdown times is actually the uh, the the brand new bourbon focused Abelor. The oh, it's not the uh, it's not the Abuna. It's the 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 Alba. Yeah, yeah. Jessica Alba yeah. whiskey. So it's the Abuna Alba. Abuna Alba or Alba yeah. Abuna? No, Abuna Alba. Alba. Alba and uh, like I've been a- reaching for that a lot as well. And I think what's been beneficial there is that wasn't a pre-lockdown dram for me. Mm. And so given how much we love Abuna, the heavily sherried Abuna, and we talk mm. about it a lot and we make it part of you know, basic, uh, basic, you know, yeah, it's uh, cask strength. Uh, um, we make it part of everybody's bar. Yeah. We certainly suggest everybody should have it. I've really been enjoying exploring the Alba version of it. And so, yeah, I've, I've really, yeah, I, I really drink some different things at home and I'm just chilling by myself. So what's interesting about your comments yeah. about Springbank, though, yeah. is you and I shared a dram over FaceTime right before Passover started and we drank the Springbank twelve cask strength. We did, yeah, yeah we did, and <laughs> so. and that and that was perfect, right? We were just on Zoom enjoying that mm-hmm. together, but yeah, just dramming on it, not not breaking it down, not analyzing it, just enjoying the pour over the lips, right? And and so this is what I find so striking about the three whiskeys you named, because I know all three, and I know all three of them very well, and I would mm-hmm. say all three of them are incredibly accessible whiskeys that you don't need to turn your brain on too much. They're, they're enjoyable. If, oh, yeah. If you want to yep. turn on your brain, you can. And so at the same time, when Springbank tended to be my go-to, I wonder if it's not my go-to because it's never easily accessible. Like there's mm-hmm. no, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? There's no easy Springbank. They're all enjoyable, but they're, they can be a bit challenging. And I wonder... If I'm just reaching for the wrong stuff, like maybe I should go for simpler, more accessible, quaffable drams. Yeah, I, I've even 
And I think part of the interest in moving towards the Glasgow blend and the the Oak Cross and certainly having those on hand at home is I've been drinking a lot of cocktails during the lockdown and and going through some some cocktail recipe books that I've got on my shelves. But I also just picked up Amanda Schuster's um, New York cocktail book. Brilliant. She's so wonderful. Yep. Right. I've been meaning to pick that up for two years now. I, I think when I looked at it the other day, it might even have been released in 2017, which is hugely embarrassing because that's a long time for me to have mm, not purchased it. The, the number was surprising on it. It wasn't a 19 or an 18. It was released September 12, 2017. Right? Yeah. Like that's that's an incredible long time ago for, for me to have not purchased it. It's Yeah, so I, I remember pre-ordering this. So I I have this book. And you know, of course I want to support Amanda. She's been a huge supporter of Single Cast Nation yep. and the Jubilee. And and we wouldn't have had her interview with Garth Ennis if it weren't for Amanda. I mean, mm-hmm. she and he are, are are basically best friends. So uh, of course I want to support her and but I've had this book but unlike you when it comes to making cocktails, I, I'm a deer in headlights. I just, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. I'm sure I'm going to screw it up. Do I stir it? Do of, I shake it? <laughs> well, that's the fascination for me is is the subtle nuances. Like, you, you've, you've known this about me, you know, up until about, geez, two years ago, I wasn't even a cocktail drinker. Mm. I had no interest in cocktails. You yeah. and I would go to different cities, hang out. You might start with a pre-dinner cocktail and I would just have a beer. Yep. You know, good yep. Scottish lad, right? Just give me a pint. That's all I need <laughs> a pint. And and so to now, you know, to start seeing what a cocktail can offer has been absolutely fascinating. We should interview Amanda for a cocktail episode of One Nation Under Whiskey. Jesus Christ. Like, this makes perfect. So and, you can, right now? and you can ask her, right, when should I shake? When should I stir? Because it is important. There's that talk about bruising the liquor uh, going on uh, in there. And so, yeah, we should ask her more about that. Anyway, 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 anyway we, we, as always, we could sit and continue chatting about this. Yeah. Uh, for regular listeners, I hope you've been enjoying Extra Extra. It's all about whiskey. It's been a ton of fun getting those recorded. And I've already, you know, keeping my eyes peeled for the news story for the next episode. But today, Joshua, mm. we have a focus. Mm-hmm. And what are we doing today? I have lovingly called this episode, Turnabout is Fair Play. <laughs> <laughs> so many, many months back, pre-COVID, pre-2020... <laughs> We were approached by Jess Lomas and and Mark Watt. They wanted to turn the tables on us. They wanted to interview us. They thought that, for whatever reason, they thought the listeners would want to know more about us because we spend so much time interviewing other people. We don't get to talk about ourselves that much. I'm, yeah, these <laughs> these 30-minute intros... And these thirty-minute closings and talking about the company, yeah, we we just never put the lens on ourselves enough. The, you know, supplemental podcast where all we do is talk to each other about the news. Yeah, our podcasts are just not about us enough. So thank you, Jess and Mark, for putting the lens back upon us. <laughs> so what they did is they reached out to a number of people. And said, hey, we're, we're going to be interviewing Joshua and Jason uh, for an episode of One Nation Unwhiskey, Under Whiskey. And do you have 
a question or two for them. So, so they had a list of questions. I don't think we got to all of the questions, but they had a list of these questions. And they asked us on wax. Indeed they did. It was great. We actually sat in our Glasgow office. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, was, it was really good fun. And yes, our intros are long. And yes, we started this other <laughs> podcast where all people are going to hear is our voice. However, there's some points in here where we're asked some more personal questions. And we get to talk about things that we, we hadn't discussed before as far as our own personal journeys go and... Well, and the part that I enjoyed yeah. the most is when Jess and Mark would then get involved as exactly. well. Exactly. And, and we Kate can hear too. their perspective. And I was going to add in yeah. Kate in just yeah. a second. Yeah. yeah. You know, the, the fact that we could all get involved and just have an industry chat, mm-hmm. a group chat. That was a ton of fun. Now, on the downside, Kate and Mark, as a married couple, were sharing a microphone. Yes. And so, and so sometimes we've got Kate saying fantastic, valuable things off mic. And um, and then sometimes Mark would actually give her the microphone, which anybody who knows Mark Watt, uh, that's not like him. He, uh... <laughs> 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 and we even got to talk to them about starting an independent bottling business. Yeah, that's that's right. That that yeah, is one hundred percent. Campbelltown right. Whiskey Company is now live. It is now live, but the bottlings will go under the Watt Whiskey. That's label. a great name. Yep, Watt great Whiskey. Name. W-A-T-T, like Watts in homage. Yeah, yeah every time I hear it, I want to say, it's which whiskey? But <laughs> that aside, Wait. hard hard grammar takes aside. What, what did you say? <laughs> which did I say? <laughs> <laughs> My wife and I have it, and, and I think you and I have it as well, with uh, the difference between less and fewer. Yes. And so oftentimes people use less when they mean fewer mm. but we've now got it to such a stage where i will also whisper to my wife the correction when it's completely incorrect <laughs> just just because grammar humor with your wife that's uh-huh. that's a special connection right special a special connection real special have you incorporated that into your lovemaking <laughs> <laughs> there's a joke to be made there and i'm just gonna walk on by you haven't lived sir you haven't loved until you've yeah. incorporated grammar humor into your lovemaking. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a joke in there about less 30 seconds and fewer than 30 seconds. So that's... I want to hand it over to <laughs> Jess, Mark, and Kate interviewing you and me. I wonder what we say. Only one way to find out, Jason. Uh, what are we doing here? We're in my office. Uh, we're in the Glasgow headquarters, a single cast nation. Uh, it's true. It is true. We're all huddled around on our slopey floors as we all move towards the door in an involuntary fashion. <laughs> it's also true. I'm pressing up against the, the desk here, and I can every time I turn around, you're a little bit closer, and that- Mark's a little bit farther away. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm anchored by a desk. I'm going nowhere. One, I'm, one of those two is deliberate. Yeah. I'm just wondering how long this cable is. <laughs> I might be out the door by the end of the... You'll be in the elevator down on the street. On the third floor. I was told the cable's a good size. Hopefully that helps. (laughs) Bigger than a cobra? (laughs) Oh, dear. 
so we're in the office because, and now now I've come to think of it, I'm waiting for Mark to correct me. I can't remember how we came up with the idea that maybe we should take over this podcast in a semi-hostile fashion. <laughs> wow. I, be, I believe it came, the idea happened in our living room. Yes. At around about three o'clock in the morning. When all the best decisions of yes. my life have been made. But we were quiet that day. You didn't hear us at all. <laughs> Which is unusual when I take people home to drink. <laughs> so for, for so our, so our <coughs> listeners know... For some context. N- not, only, not only do we have Jess Lomas here and Mark Watt, but also Kate Watt is here. Hello. <laughs> they don't give me a microphone, though. <laughs> 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 she has when to prize it from my yeah, hands. There are <laughs> sailors who don't swear quite like Kate Watt. And so to save the beep button, we just thought we'd keep the microphone away. Yeah, it's just for editing reasons, that's all. Uh, so we really thought that this was about, uh, obviously, the podcast. You guys go around asking uh, various people in the industry and people that you meet at shows questions. But we really thought maybe it was time for the listeners of the podcast hmm. To hear from you, Aww. instead of it being uh, an interrogation with Jason in Elgin's fifth Beth Hotel, <laughs> uh, which was my interview. <laughs> that was a fun interrogation. <laughs> you Chuckled. took her to the fifth Beth Hotel? Yeah. yeah. Really Look spoiled. at you. Yeah, splashing out. We were still in a probationary period. You don't, oh, okay. you know, you don't show the very best of Elgin's highlights. Yeah. You've got to start you know, reasonably calmly, and you go from there. Next time, we've already discussed it. We're in the third best hotel in Elgin next time. I've only been in the eighth best, so you're a step ahead of me. Such too. level of greatness. <laughs> I don't know if I need to see better in the fifth. I don't think it could be topped, really. Um, I've never stayed in a hotel in Elgin. So I've just revealed about 10 minutes ago to Josh and Jason that I had contacted... And to me. And to you. (laughs) Shh, I told you everything. Uh, (laughs) um, That I had contacted some Nation members saying that was potentially we were going to take over the podcast. Did anyone have anything pertinent they wanted to ask you guys? Uh, So we we can reveal over those slowly a little bit. You got answers? Yeah, I got some answers. Oh, boy. Some people were keen to raise their opinions. Oh, boy. All right. Tell me Michael Nolan's one of these. First in the queue. First in the queue. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. I feel safe in your hands. <laughs> he was, uh, so he, he's got um, some interesting stories and not just questions in his email. He's a good lad. So, um, do you want me to, I'll go Absolutely. and I'll pull this out of the mailbag. Yeah, we should. <laughs> Mark, Mark can start while I find this. Oh, start. Oh boy, okay. Message. Kind of boring question, but how did you guys meet? Tinder. <laughs> we, all, we always say grinder. <laughs> um, so actually, I was just telling Joshua this the other day. Way back in the beginning, when Twitter was still fresh and seemed like a good idea and, and something that might be decent uh, for and to humanity, I, uh, there were a lot of whiskey people getting on Twitter. So you could follow Richard Patterson, and he would write tweets in block capitals. Um, you could, I, I followed John Campbell. You still had to lean in so you could hear what he was typing. Um, a, a whole bunch of <laughs> bloggers got on there. It was really, it was a really good, good, good community. And you know, Twitter was so small that you could follow all the twi- all the whiskey people very easily. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and and you were you know always felt up to up to speed on the conversation. So I was following Gal Granov, uh, whiskey Israel. Mentioned him plenty of times on the podcast. And there was this guy, uh, Yossi Yitzak, who oh, yeah. kept appearing 
on Gal's feed, but didn't really appear in anybody else's feed. And so I'd always see him, I'd read his comments, and, and I'd think to myself, huh, if he's a whiskey guy, I should probably follow him. But if you looked at his bio, it said something daft, like dad, father, music lover, or you know, you know, band member, or something like that. And I'm not even sure at that time if you actually said anything about whiskey, or whiskey was like the fourth thing on the list. I was just kind of like, huh. oof, I don't know if I want to follow this guy. And, <laughs> and so I spent a good bit of time just keeping an eye on him on Gal's feed, then going and look at his bio, see if anything had changed. And then finally I thought, ah, fuck it, it's Twitter. Right? What's the worst that can happen? Unfollow him. And uh, that's the end of that. And so I started following him on Twitter. And uh, he turned out he was a very nice fellow. And, <laughs> and our relationship Grew from yeah, there. Grew from there. That's right. Yeah. What's the worst can happen on Twitter? Have you watched uh, Don't Fuck with Cats? <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. No. <laughs> it reminds me of him. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's my recollection. What What's your recollection? I put a friend. Or do they call them friend requests at Twitter? Yeah. No idea. Something like that. So whatever the the Twitter equivalent. Okay, is you're done with the kids. To friend requests. <laughs> um, I. Requested Jason be my friend because I was reading his blog, which was Whiskey Host at the time. And actually, if if you want to, it was an read escort it, service for whiskey lovers, Ooh. with an emphasis on host. <laughs> yeah, it was whiskeyhost.com. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> between Serge uh, for Whiskey Fun, Sam Simmons at Doctor Whiskey, and Jason's blog, those were the three blogs that I read. That's amazing. That's and ridiculous company for me to be in at yeah, that right. stage. Ridiculous. <laughs> I feel bad for those other two, you know. Um, but I was I, <laughs> I was really re- brought down the tone of those <laughs> you three. Totally blogs. did, yeah. But yeah, it was in part Jason's blog that helped get me into whiskey. So I was really keen to reach out to him because I, you know, you read Serge's notes and as lovely as they are, they're esoteric as as all hell. Uh, where Jason's were always nice, simple, to the point. Easily digestible, and so I'd use him to. Oh, that sounds like a good whiskey. Let me grab a bottle, and I started enjoying more whiskeys and more whiskeys. And then I decided to start a blog, and then reached out. I'm guessing through Twitter. Yeah. To see if we could yeah. do some sample trades, right? Yep, exactly. Well, I, actually, it's not like you to skip this detail. Oh right. Before we got to the trading of samples, mm-hmm. you reached out, and I was trying to sell whiskey host to you. That's right. That's right. I was trying to sell you on what Whiskey Host had to offer, and you were like, ah, my groups doesn't really work like that. Yeah, tell people what Whiskey Host, other than an escort service for Whiskey Host. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Whiskey Host was an idea ahead of its time that actually came from a friend of mine, Joe Pergola, where I I ran a whiskey society in the Palouse in eastern Washington, northern Idaho, and Joe Pergola was one of the first members of that. And so, as everybody now knows how tastings work and tasting societies work, um, for the Palouse, nobody had ever heard of this type of thing. And so, as Joe was coming along, he was kind of like, here you are curating selections, leading the education, leading the tasting. What if we could deliver that to people across the United States. So we wouldn't be responsible for selling them the whiskey, but we would be selling them the curation, the tasting sheet, the education. Mm. And we wrote a little booklet, and he had maybe 2,000 units made. And uh, 
and then it never came to anything. He moved across the country. Yeah. He went quiet. Um, he's still got two thousand units sitting in his garage. Did he ever sell a single? I unit? don't. I don't think so. No, I don't think. Yeah. I was just. I was just consulting for him, and he was the one putting in all the time. Yeah. And money yeah. I do. And I do that. remember now that you yeah. you're trying to sell me on it, and I had my own little society at the time, and had my way of running tasting, so I just never... That's when we got into what the fees would be. That's when it ended. Yeah, Fees would be such and such every three months. And you were like, oh, I don't think that idea is going to work. Yeah, no, so it didn't work for me. Then we traded samples. And, and then just in talking about trading samples, this is why the intro lasts all the way from Campbelltown to Glasgow. Um, in terms of trading samples, do you remember in the very beginning when we both had our blogs and we'd start posting tasting notes day in and day out, and we'd turn to each other and we'd say, I don't know what we're going to do when we run out of whiskey. Like, this is... <laughs> what do we do? We run out of samples. How yeah. do we didn't know who to contact. There, we didn't really have contacts. You know, distilleries or importers, and there were just a handful of bloggers out there to trade with. So, yeah, it was touch and go for a little while. And even even from that point of saying, I don't know what we're going to do when we run out of samples. We never got through all the samples never we got ever yeah, had, yeah. and the yeah. samples just multiplied and multiplied and multiplied yeah. and a brand would reach out and say would you have interest in tasting this and we say oh absolutely and then we'd come in and it would just go in the bottom of the pile it was just it was just too much bloody whiskey to get through so, mm-hmm. I hate that really and <laughs> hashtag first world whiskey problems although you do always think you don't have enough whiskey yep you know we, we did a, an inventory of the booze room the other day and I was sitting going oh, I don't have enough whiskey and I was, we're doing a tasting on Wednesday night, and I was looking for six bottles to <laughs> use. And I kept going to Kate, oh, I think we need more whiskey. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, yeah, there's another hundred bottles in the loft that we've not even started on yet. <laughs> but you always need more. That's exciting, though, when you go into the little storage place and you start opening boxes that you haven't opened in three and four years, and you're like, oh, I bought one of those. Oh, I bought two of those. Fantastic. Oh, I remember that. Do you remember that? Remember when we were there? Oh, I love all those little connections. Hmm. It's the only reason I buy whiskey is just for the connections. Yeah, it's for the memories. It is. That's it. Memories. Or the lack of them. <laughs> this is the rest of the podcast. It's just you singing musical hits. Yes. <laughs> and then we'll call that, right, that's the end of the intro. Let's get down to it. <laughs> singing a song from Cats is a timely reference. Yeah. It's for the kids. Yeah. And about as many people listen to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I brought my cat boobs and I've got my bare hands. So I mm-hmm. feel like I fit right into the movie. Brought my cat penis. I'm all set. Such a shame the listeners can't see this. End. What's that? Such a shame the listeners can't see that you've put so much effort into your outfits. Josh and I are both sitting here in full cats regalia. <laughs> I'm tickling Jason with my tail right now. <laughs> I wish it was only your tail. <laughs> Good grief. All right. Uh, okay, transition. Okay, Next. so that, that was that was nice. That was quite romantic. That was so sweet. It's nice that you're holding hands while you were telling the story. Looking oh, at each other's eyes. So um, that was obviously, you haven't put any dates on this timeline. Oh. Um, yeah, probably around 2008 into 2009. Or 2009 into 2010. 2009 to 2010, because... That's exactly correct. How long did we know each other before I called you up on a Thanksgiving to say, let's start a business? Six months. Six months. Six so that months. that was November 2010. 
So, just so you, you got it on pretty quick. He did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a pattern he has, though. He doesn't waste time. Mm-hmm. Same with his wife. Yeah, we were Move together fast. four months, and I proposed to her, and then we were married eight months after that. See that? When he knows it's right, he knows it's right. Mm-hmm. Hyde and I are here to be the better halves. Three halves? Three, yeah. Three. <laughs> we were just going to leave that right. <laughs> Three halves make a whole. So that means, for those who don't know, that Single Cast Nation started in... 2011 by my maths which checks out mm-hmm. uh, so that means we are very shortly coming to maybe a big anniversary you are correct we're getting excited looking looking a year into the future 18 months mm-hmm. into the future starting to see what a 10th anniversary year might look like oh because that was one of the questions that has come from the oh. mailbag oh. is are you willing to share some maybe little insights as to what's coming if you're not willing to share, Mark and I will make you share. <laughs> we could open that window, dangle them out. <laughs> um, it is too early to share anything. Wow. If, if the question is, at least in part, if we have whiskies planned for it, special uh-huh. 10th anniversary whiskies, we've not even discussed that yet. We've not. Very will will, will there be a party? Oh, there's got to be a party, right? Huh? I would say a big party. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm just uh-huh. looking for an excuse. Uh-huh. We I, I'm, 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 I'm assuming I would get an invite. Oh, <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. It's a big assumption. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big assumption. Um, yeah, we will have maybe another six months, and then we'll have an announcement for something that might be a year away at that point. Oh, exciting. <laughs> I, the reason I'm asking this question is so I don't need to listen to the podcast to hear it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you been, can continue to listen. We've been uh, ribbing Joshua all week that he doesn't tell us anything, that to find out what's happening, I have to listen to the podcast. It's like a strange test. <laughs> so we've, well, so it gets the numbers up. <laughs> right. <laughs> ah, Plus one. <laughs> do you want, me to, do you want me to change? I could just announce things by Twitter. Do you prefer that's that? nice. I feel that's old school. Yeah, that's, that's how right. the I love president Twitter. does it. I don't see why the head of Single Guys Nation right. shouldn't get away with it. I'm also it. a president <laughs> and a client. Um, I will, I'll give you two quick pieces about our use of the podcast and your employment. Uh, <laughs> God, it's going so badly. <laughs> Number one, so so you, me, and Joshua had a five-hour business meeting yesterday, which yes, was very good, very productive. And in that meeting, your role changed. And so you're, you've gone from UK European sales manager. You are now global sales manager for Single Cast Nation. So congratulations on that Instant front. promotion. Yes. So you pronounce it wrong. It's global, except the US, <laughs> <laughs> sales manager. Just two of us running the United States, one person running the rest of the globe. That, that checks out, right? That's how women roll, right? Okay. That actually I should emphasize, yeah. Two men running one country, <laughs> one woman running the rest of the, the globe. The world. <laughs> And you know the plan is to give you the US. <laughs> Wait, what? And then, and then the second part of your employment is right. we've now just started signing uh, the, the emails to the nation as Joshua, Jason and Jess. And uh, some people have actually reached out to say, who's Jess? <gasps> and, and, and we've kind of been like, oh, it's in the podcast. We, we did a whole interview with her. It turns out not everybody in the nation listens to One Nation Under Whiskey. Right, we have to find these people and remove them. It's amazing. So we're now going to have to add in this level of a test. Uh, who is Jess? If you know the answer, you can stay. If you don't know the answer, you're out in your ear. Hmm. So listeners of this podcast, well equipped to remain in the nation. They're okay. What you need to do is have something that they can only get by listening. Yeah. Or because... like. 
I quite often. If people send you a long email, you don't read it all. But if you sneak something in the in the bottom, it's like, oh, there is actually some Ardbeg available <laughs> to anyone who actually has read this email all the way down. And then you find out who's actually read. There's no Ardbeg available, but it's just <laughs> it's just to get people to read the full the full thing. It's nice to be asked, right? Yeah, right. Re- reach out now to be entered into a drawing for. I've I've quite enjoyed. I get a bit of a, a cheap thrill seeing my name signed as one of the three J's. It's nice. It's like I've got suddenly developed two gay dads. It's like family <laughs> sign off. <laughs> <laughs> Love and kisses from Joshua, Jason, and the dog Jess. <laughs> that sounds like a sitcom, doesn't it? The three J's. <laughs> Well, it is, it. yeah. If your name didn't begin with J, you wouldn't be at the bottom of the signature of the emails. Yeah, that's that's how I got in. He hasn't seen my CV and all the amazing activities I have listed. Did, did you list your baking abilities? <laughs> <laughs> Here, your vegan that, cakes. That whole shit. interview was just me on my own. All right. <laughs> she goes the opposite way. She doesn't put it on her CV. She just shows up with baked goods that are fantastic. I just bring up a bag of flour and say, this is the potential. <laughs> it's a potential. Look at the potential, what you could have. You could have a delicious cake. Diamond in the rough. Okay, so I feel like we're doing a good job of getting away from the point that, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. maybe yeah. there is yeah. possibly yeah, some 10-year yeah. announcements. Yeah, things will be coming, but we don't have enough information to say it right now. We did have a huge meeting about something that is going to be amazing, but it's early doors. Well, you've really I ruined mean, that question quite I nearly nicely. said... When we did it and where we did it, and that would have given a lot of information. So, oh, teasing nothing. Okay, so the next question Transition. is was was sort of tied to that. Everybody <laughs> I spoke to, without fail, said, "Hurry up and bring the whiskey jubilees back." <laughs> and as I'm now running the world for you, yeah, uh-huh. I feel like you guys got some time on your hands. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's something else that you could do, Jess. <laughs> Well, what you wish for. Funny funny you should say that. So far, I've enlisted the Nolans in Chicago. They're running it. Well done, you two. I'm so proud. Uh, I asked our friends in Seattle, Liz and Natalie. They were very definitely starting a crowdfunding when I met Natalie on a chance encounter at 6 a.m. in Heathrow Airport. Yes. That quickly became our topic of conversation about how I was going to crowdfund and crowdsource for volunteers a festival. What I'm worried about is it's going to end up with a festival run by all the volunteers and there'll be no punters because they're all too busy being volunteers. Yes. I'm not saying this is a perfect plan. If you can get them to volunteer and buy a ticket. (laughs) (laughs) Pay us to volunteer. Yeah, no, I, I, I love the fact that the Jubilees resonated. I'm glad that they, they were always something we had on the radar that we thought we would do later on. And then they were foisted upon us much sooner than we ever imagined. And we did the best job we possibly could. Growing it across the three cities took a lot of work and obviously required the support mm-hmm. of people in those cities. Uh, I will also say I do not miss organizing the Jubilees. There's not one day goes by where I'm like, you know what? I wish I could be chasing somebody right now for a really simple question to be answered. Don't miss that. Well, given the week I've had, I reckon I could just stack a few more of those on in. No problem at all. Yeah, yeah we are purposely not putting that one on your plate. So. <laughs> Spoil yeah. spots. And, and to be honest, I'm a bit of a control freak. And to hand that off into someone else's hands, it, it makes me a bit uncomfortable. Now, having said that, we have had, for the three cities, a team that 
would mm-hmm. on the day mm-hmm. of, you know, really make sure everything went off without a hitch. Mm-hmm. And we relied on them heavily. But it's all the other stuff I just is awful. Maybe not awful, but as difficult oh, and yeah. pain in the butt as it was, handing that off to someone else, I, I don't know, it makes yeah. me weird. The, makes the, me feel weird. The other industry side of it is, and we, we said this in the kind of in the podcast announcement that the Jubilees were going away, festivals are moving in a direction where if you're not tied to a store, if you don't have somebody selling on site, you have far less buy-in from the brands. Mm-hmm. And so to have consumer support who want to come in and want to taste is brilliant. But without the brands coming in and doing the same level of support, mm-hmm. you're just not going to have a particularly interesting lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously for the laws in the United States, the getting the in-house selling going was tough. And so I, I think stores are going to take over the festival circuits um, and you're, so. you're going to have brands go support there. I think like shows, shows are great, um, but from a kind of smaller brand sort of view, I always prefer doing tasting tours where you know, I'd rather sometimes do a tasting for 30 people that yeah. you get focused yep. rather than, like, I never had the, the joy of coming to Whiskey Jubilee because uh, they wouldn't let me into America. Yeah, we always uh, asked you. We um, always asked. It was always out with my hands. So, um, But it's sometimes you go to these shows and they're great um, and people have a good time, but they've have a really good time and then yeah. like oh yeah I've had a Milton Duff it was really great was that at the single cast nation stand or was it at the Hunter yeah. Lane stand yeah, or was yeah. it at the whatever stand and then you've poured a lot of drums maybe you've seen a lot of people but how much quality time have you spent you know correct. advertising mm-hmm. correct so some shows are better at it than others other shows are trying to pack too many people in and you just become a drinks dispenser yep mm-hmm. um, and that annoys me you know you get people going yeah. yeah, just a Give, straight arm, yeah. hoping that liquid falls into their glass. Yeah, somewhere. and that's just the exhibitors. But it's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> speaking from experience, <laughs> so true. So yeah, we definitely miss the friends that, that we made along the way. But those friends haven't gone anywhere. You know, we still Damn. see Natalie and Liz and many, many other people in in Seattle. We still see Michael and Bonnie Nolan in Chicago and many, many, many mm-hmm. other people. New York, I don't see anybody because Joshua doesn't let me go there. It's because, well, let me into LA, and uh, we'll talk. We'll have we'll have a conversation. That's why you're not coming to Sweden. It's mine. <laughs> <laughs> Global markets, yes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, so yeah, sorry, sorry for those who love the Jubilee. But sorry, sorry, listeners. I tried way. a million it really times. Mean, yeah. It really means a lot. Hundred percent does. Hundred percent. Yeah. Well, and if we keep it finite, the cost of the festival bottles just continue to explode as well, and flippers get to celebrate. <laughs> wow, that's good. But it's gotten on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, one of the things I was going to say was like, because there's two of you now, three of you selecting casks and things. Mm-hmm. What do you do when you disagree? You know, I've been fairly lucky that I've always just picked what I've liked and uh-huh. never really had to fight with anyone. And, well, hopefully that'll continue, but I'm sure Kate will disagree. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, so when you're when you're like, is there any time where, like, one of you's like, oh, we, we must bottle this, and the other one's like, no, nah, you're off your head, mate. I can think of an instant off right off the top of my head. You may be thinking of the same one. We got a sample of a nine-year-old Brooklady that I, you know, first filled bourbon, 
And I thought it was a stunning example of just good young Brooklady. It had that slightly milky, dunnage thing going on, and I thought it was beautiful. I said, as a Brooklady lover, I would drink the hell out of this, and other Brooklady drinkers would as well. And Jason said, yeah, I don't like it. I really don't like it. Not, not that I didn't like it. I just, I wasn't particularly impressed by it. And, and here's where we came to... Um, to do what Joshua wanted. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> How do I get him to acquiesce? I was trying to put that politically. Um, for me, it had a very old style about it. It was very soft. And, and I like my Isla's younger, punchier, more active on the palate. And so Joshua had said, oh, this is such an old style Brooklady, and those who know Brooklady will know this style of Brooklady. And so, even though it didn't didn't resonate for me, I was like, "That is a that is a good argument for why we should proceed." And as I said then, and I've said many times since, I said, "I trust you. I trust your palate. I trust your judgment of the nation and of the industry. And if you believe in this, I will give it my thumbs up." And I did, and it sold fantastically well. Brooklady lovers bought it by the case. Uh, hugely successful release. But when the shoe's on the other foot... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wow. The boot fits. Here it comes. Here it comes. <laughs> My recollection <laughs> of one story is we had a, a single cask sample of Cooley in Bourbon. Mm. And I'm I'm nice. I'm not a, f- a fan, a lover of the Irish category, so I wasn't I wasn't going to bat for something that's a favourite of mine. I just tasted Cooley and Bourbon, and I thought that's really tasty. That's got a lot going on. And for Joshua, the thread just didn't run all the way through to the finish. And the policy in the company is if the thread doesn't run nose to palate to finish with a good mouthfeel, then we're just not going to select it. And I just simply disagreed with him over what was going on on the finish. Mm -hmm. But as a 50-50, it's only ever taken one veto to outrule the selection. And so instead of saying, I trust you, (laughs) I believe in you, he said... I'm using my veto. And, and I said, I've got no skin in the game. I'm not going to go to bat for Irish. If you, don't, if you really don't like it, we don't have to put it in a bottle. But what I did do was I kept the sample and I made sure that whenever I went around to sell Single Cast Nation to people whose palates we really valued, I would always pour them the Cooley and Bourbon. I wouldn't tell them the story. I would just pour it for them. Hmm. And to a person, everybody I poured that sample for really liked it. Really liked it. So there you go. You've used your veto on me once. Yeah. I've never used my veto on you at all. And we're about to celebrate 10 years. It really paints me like a monster here. But, um, <laughs> but if we, the boot fits. <laughs> but we did end up bottling a coolie. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Coolie and cherry. Everybody was happy. Yeah. yeah. yeah but coolie and bourbon so much better. I really liked coolie that you poured us that was in bottle for 15 years or what I don't, I don't remember the story with that one. Uh, yeah that was the one that was 1993 I think it was yeah bottled in 
2019, mm. but technically was only 13 years old. Uh, the reason for that was it was maturing in Scotland from when it was 13 years old, and legally you can't mature Irish whisky outside of Ireland, which is fairly obvious when you think about it, because <laughs> that's the same rules for Scotch whisky. Um, but the casks were already in Scotland before me, so it wasn't my fault. And so they <laughs> agreed that they would allow us, the cabinets, to put the, uh, the age that it was in in Ireland oh, and okay. not have the extra aging, even though it did age. So did you put the dis- distillation date on the bottle? Distillation date and bottling date and the wrong age. <laughs> <laughs> and in fairness, the amount of people that just thought we'd messed up. Yeah, right. Uh, it's like, oh, yeah, they yeah. can't count. Yeah. <laughs> so was the regulation always that Irish couldn't be matured outside yeah, I, of Ireland? And the new wrinkle is uh, that Irish I, I, can't I, be I, bottled outside of Ireland? Um, no, it's always been... I think it was 1985 that the rules came in. Okay. So yeah, it was a fairly recent... Change. It's <laughs> the history of a long industry, yeah, you know. It's I mean, if you go back far enough, everything's yeah. relatively close. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there you go. Okay, that got dark. Anyone want to brighten up? I'm, I'm, I'm going back to the mailbag. Okay. So while we're still on the like about you section, which ah, is what yeah. I would entitle this. Okay. Good. Uh, so on my my message from Michael Nolan, my good friend Michael Nolan. Uh huh. Our good friend. Uh, he's got some really great points in here. Uh, mm. Some of which I'm going to pretend I came up with. <laughs> Sorry, Michael. It's a long email. I, it's honestly, it's like my notes for yesterday's five-hour meeting. <laughs> like a, it's like a podcast intro. Yeah, what I like here is he's written a sort of bio about you. So I'll read you directly from yeah, the email. Mm. They both started their public whiskey lives through writing and mostly whiskey commentary via blogs. They took time out from this to create Single Cast Nation. Recently, they rediscovered their voice with a podcast. It seemed like a natural progression. Where do you think? Where do they think the podcast will go? And this is my favourite bit of the paragraph. Do they think one day they will tire of each other's nonsense on air? <laughs> You know, well, there's asking a pointed question. It started because we were cracking ourselves up a little bit. We would just have silly conversations that were in and around serious whiskey conversations. And it's funny, we both came to one another with the same idea. We should start a podcast. Yeah. And uh, so it all just came from the conversations that we had been having since the beginning uh where it's going i don't know jason where do you think it's going we definitely want to do more of the live podcast recordings if we're not getting out for jubilees and seeing friends in key cities we'd like to get out and about with the podcast and see those same friends in key cities um the trouble is just like the jubilee it requires planning it requires coordination yep um and we've got travel going on where you go to different cities to sell single cast nation and impex products i go to different cities from that to sell single cast nation we don't often end up in the same place at the same time no and especially to do a recorded podcast it's then okay what are we talking about what are we pouring why are we here um but we definitely want to see more of the, the live podcast coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do have some upcoming news on a development within the podcast. Uh, yeah, well, given the timing of this, I think we can talk about it. Oh, you think so? Yeah. 
Yeah, let's talk about it. Okay. God, we haven't dum, practiced dum, how dum. we're going to talk about it. This is just totally off the cuff now. You talk about it the way you pitched it to me. Okay. Because oh, this, this was your idea, and I thought it was a fantastic okay. one. So, okay. So in the sense of us kind of riffing off each other in the podcast coming about because of that, we've talked about adding a, a Patron to this. Patreon. Patreon. I always, I always get mixed up Patreon with my Harry Potter's. Yeah. That's Patronus. Uh, you got Patron, which is a tequila, Patronus, which is Harry Potter's thing, and then it's Patreon. Patreon. So so the Patreon um is a is a, a kind of a side supportive community uh that wants to uh, reward you for your efforts, uh either as an artist, as a writer, as a podcaster. And so then you you put together something a little special that only they get access to. So when I had my blog back in the day, I used to do a, a weekly Sunday post that was called What I Learned This Week. And I would just post up a few you know, links to whiskey stories that had caught my attention. Uh, and then I would make that available. So if it was a Sunday and you were in your pajamas and having a cup of coffee with a wee whiskey chaser, Mark. Um, you know, you might be able to just sit there with your laptop or your iPad and just kind of go through the headlines and then go read some stories. It was always one of the most popular posts on the blog. And so when we launched, launched the One Nation Under Whiskey podcast, we said we weren't going to do the news that wasn't the focus that we had for what this was going to be. This was going to be single cast nation, news and information, and interviews. And so what we're going to do with the additional podcast... Not Patronus, but Patreon. Patreon, is we're going to do a little 30-minute Friday, maybe every second Friday podcast, where I bring a news story that I've seen in the week... Uh, and Josh and I just kind of riff on it, chat about it back and forth. And he brings a new, a whiskey news item that he's seen that week. And we riff back and forth on it. And it's just, it's so funny with Michael Nolan saying, do you think you'll ever get tired of one another's nonsense on air? And here we are now about to add something else <laughs> where we just riff nonsense at each other on air. So, yeah. so the answer to that question from Michael is, I, I don't see us getting tired. We'd, we'd have to get tired of one another separately from, you know, get tired mm. of doing it online. But what you have on, on air is exactly what we do. In the car, in the hotel room, at the pub, mm. just all, all nonsense all the time. You're around us enough, you know, it's nonsense all the time. <laughs> So yeah, so so there is a new addition yeah, yeah. to the podcast coming with uh, fucking more of our nonsense. What a great exclusive to add to my list of things I didn't know that were happening in my company. <laughs> <laughs> you should interview us more often for the podcast. Uh -huh. Think of all the questions you'd get answered. Imagine if Mark and I drank more often at three o'clock in the morning in Campbelltown. It's <laughs> a good job Campbelltown's a whole podcast intro away. <laughs> then very badly. Um... Before we move on, mm -hmm. I've noticed everybody's glass is empty, which is a tragic tragedy and travis oh, oh right. Oh all right. I'm driving. I'm Good driving. Lad. Okay. Good luck. <laughs> I don't know why I have to justify not drinking to the nation. It's <laughs> <laughs> worrying. But speaking of drinking, yes. I brought something along that we might like to try. All right. <sighs> Oh, oh, look oh. At that. and now let's just not name what it is. <laughs> oh. I thought, 
I thought um, we would drink this because it's one of your bottlings mm-hmm. and it's to show you that I didn't sell it at auction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look at that. And the, the good thing is um, oh, I still you. have access to a capper so I can refill just, it and, and then sell it at auction <laughs> thank you. and you'll not know about it. <laughs> it is a good tea colour. Thank you so much. Yeah. So, so to Lovely. share with the nation, Mark and Kate have brought along the Single Cast Nation Port Charlotte 14-year-old, nice, dark, woody, sherry, peaty. Oh, my gosh. Bit of a beast. Uh, thank you for sharing this. Thank you so oh, much. Thank you for sharing it with me to allow me to share it back with you. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime we could share something with you so you could share uh, it back with us, yeah, Mark, we will do that. Uh, all the pickled walnuts in the world. Because it is what we do, what we do, yeah. <laughs> I just got really excited and sniffed the microphone by mistake. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> that's, that's what, I, I remember once doing a, a tasting where I was mic'd up like Madonna, and I just kept hitting the microphone with the, with the glass. It was, it was almost as bad as the time that I did a tasting dressed up as Darth Vader, and, um, <laughs> and then realised with the Darth Vader mask on, you can't drink. So there is a downside to oh. Darth Vader tasting. <laughs> What was the impetus for you dressing up as Darth Vader for a tasting? Um, it was something to do with colouring. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I was going to the dark side of colouring. And uh, for some reason, again, drunkenly, I decided it would be quite fun to dress up as Darth Vader. <laughs> it could have been Darth Do. Yeah, well, it's, uh, <laughs> we did end up doing the, the kudu because I oh, couldn't, couldn't get lockdu because it was yeah. too expensive these days. I used I used to sit in cases of lockdu having my lunch when I worked at Rama Whiskies, and you know I would be able to pick it up for like ten pounds a bottle. Isn't it insane? And then they would sell it on eBay back in the days when you could sell alcohol on eBay in the UK uh, for like two hundred quid. Wow. The, the amount of people that would come into Rama Whiskey stores looking for it and saying, "Oh, have you got lockdu? It's the best whiskey I've ever tried," and I'd be like. <sighs> Don't let the door hit you on the way out. You know, it's it's so amazing, Pete. There is a segment of people that absolutely love Loch Dew. Yeah, we we were in the pot still, which we're actually just sitting down the down the road from. We were in the pot still, and you went up. This was actually just last year or so, mm-hmm. and you went up to the the bar, or made an order, and said, "And do you have any Loch Dew?" And the boy just kind of looked at him sideways and said, "Yeah." And he said, "I'll." Buy a pour of Loch Do, and the guy said, "I don't think you want to do that." Uh, he said, "No, no, I know what I'm, I know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I know why we're doing this. So please, please, can we have a pour?" And he was like, "Okay," uh-huh. and uh, and then just dark <laughs> as night, treacly, oaky. So yeah, well, terrible. It, 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 we passed it around the pot still. It, it did get its dark colour from the unique charring process. I unique. believe that, that's what it said on the label. Unique. Wow. Yeah, uniquely charred caramel. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it happened in an industrial facility. Mm. I thought you said accident. Industrial <laughs> accident. Mm. But that's a crack and drum. Oh, and it's good to return to that. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. We uh, currently have, so in the Bonacord, which is further away from where we're sat, um, they have a thing called the Keys Cabinet that Paul lets selected people, which apparently that includes me and Chris, uh, <laughs> uh, for a, a small, modest fee. Um, you can keep bottles in the cabinet 
uh, which is a great idea. And it's allowed us to put some really cool stuff in. The first outing into the keys cabinet, I put in um, an Adelphi Beaumont that was a similar color as this. And he was very mm. pleased to mm. accept that into the keys cabinet. And I said, the other thing I want to put in is the single cast nation Westland two-year-old. And he went, two-year-old? <laughs> Whiskey. <laughs> and I said, yeah, it's amazing. I love it. Love, big fan of Westland, but the significance of putting that in for Chris and I was that was the cast that we picked with you guys in Seattle. So it had like real kind of significance. Mm-hmm. Those two bottles are long gone, so we needed something else to put in the cabinet, and we had a bit of an argument about what we were going to put in. So my Port Charlotte, and I'm saying my heavily, so he can't lay claim to it, my Port Charlotte 14 is in the cupboard currently, and I'm amazed it's lasted as long as it has. Every time I go up to the barn, I get a bit excited and heavy-handed about pouring it, because I'm not a Port Charlotte fan. I find it, for somebody who's an absolute peat head, there's some kind of rubbery note that I find in Port Charlotte, especially Mm. the older it gets, Mm -hmm. doesn't sit in my palate nicely. And it's absolutely not in this. Mm. I could drink this. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting home and drinking the rest of this bottle because I'm sorry, I'm taking it with me. Um, <laughs> sorry, we're going to the bond. That's fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, the the key um, was the keys cabinet you call or mm. keys club. Yeah. Keys club. Um, there's a similar thing in the Kriegelhier Hotel, mm-hmm. um, and I I worked there when I was 18. Uh, that's how I got into whiskey, really. Um, and they had a, a space you could keep your bottle in. And when I left the hotel, I was gifted a space in the cabinet, you know, and so other people like John Grant's got a bottle, um, you know, many other people can't remember names now. <laughs> uh, Hans of Ringa, Jim Murray even had one. Um, Cadenheads had one. Uh, they had a 1919 Springbank in there that we drunk. And uh, I'm uh, sorry. Pardon, pardon, pardon. Just, pardon. Can you just for a second there? Back it up. Was that two 19s back to back? Yes. The 1919 Springbank. Yes. Like the 1919 yeah. Springbank. They had a bottle of that in there, and one night I went and met Kate. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Let's hear from, oh, gosh. from the So night. this was... I used to work at Springbank. I met Mark, moved up to um, Speyside, where I worked at Glen Farkless. I met you guys at Glen Farkless. Yes, yes, yes you did. Right. You delivered you our first ever samples. Yeah. Um, Thank you. And all the guys from Springbank were up in Speyside, I think, visiting some visitor centres or doing a bit of research. And they were in the Highlander Inn having some drinks. During the afternoon, Saturday afternoon. No, it was a, during the week. During the week, I was working. I don't know why I was yeah, at work. Anyway, <laughs> I was on some kind of health kick. And I said, tell you what, get, I'll cycle from Dufton down to Craigellachie <laughs> to meet you for a couple of drinks. Yeah. And then I'll cycle home. Oof. Must have been summertime, because I cycled down, I think, after work. And... Um, Four hours later, it was dark. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have lights on my bike, so I had to phone Mark to come and pick us up. You were still at work. But by that time, we'd moved across the road into the Craigellachie Hotel, where the 1919 Springbank was sitting in the cabinet. Hmm. And um, Can you put a year on this? Uh, that was Taylor, so it's eight years ago. Yeah, about eight, nine years ago. Yeah. Okay. okay. All right. So, before the last bottle of 1919 got sold from the Springbank shop. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there was a bottle open, so... We finished it. We finished it. Not just us. There was quite a group there. <laughs> Good save. <laughs> yeah. Which is quite funny, because actually, when that bottle first was opened, I was there also. <laughs> <laughs> Funny how that works. Yeah. <laughs> Myself and David Sturk opened the 1919. Oh, my goodness. Uh, 
then I finished it. So, yeah. So what was it like? Yeah. It was all right. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, no, when, when I tried it the first time, it was really good. Um, it's kind of oxidated a mm. little bit by the time we'd, oh, we got okay. to it. How does a 1919 Springbank differ from modern-day Springbank? Or even 66? Like a c- c- couple yeah. of zeros, probably. <laughs> <laughs> that checks out. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, we're only interested in talking auction prices. Yeah. That's all we're after. Um, no, it was, it was really, really rich. Uh, it was more kind of almost like an old cognac-type mm, feel to it. Wow. It was just... And quite so not much peat. I don't remember much. No, uh, really quite metal. But then it was fifty-year-old spirit. Yeah. It was quite dirty, mm. but mm. in a good way. Mm. Yeah, but Springbank has that kind of dirty oiliness. Yeah. Anyway, so. Yeah, sure. Was it a silly price by the by the dram? Oh no, it was free. I don't pay for drinks. <laughs> um, but if but if one were to buy it by the dram, would it have? It wasn't available by the dram. It was only in. It was in the cupboard, and um, oh wow! Only select, like the keys club. Yeah, only select see. people got it. Oh wow! That's remarkable. Wow. Yeah. Gosh, I can't imagine if our pot shell was on free reign. Help yourself in a cupboard. <laughs> it would still be there. I know several people who claim to want to go to the pub with me, but it's solely on the basis they want Cheers. in on this. So we're like, no, I'm looking at you, Andrew. So that's who I'm looking at. <laughs> and I'm actually sitting right next to Andres' desk right now as well. That's what's anchoring me. Spilling all of the things on oh, his wow. desk. Uh, sorry, Andres. Tell him I've rubbed, oh, t- tell him, pass along. I've rubbed a little drop of the Port Charlotte somewhere on your desk. It's a scratch and sniff spot. <laughs> You'll get the salt first. <laughs> That's a great Easter egg to the podcast. Just don't look at the other scratch and sniff spot. <laughs> I left that. Hi, Andreas. I sat in his desk for literally two seconds. <laughs> yeah, that was all good. The good, the other good thing about having the, I, so I got my space in the cabinet, and obviously I'm a very well dressed looking guy. I used to always enjoy going into the Craig Hotel. At, you know, it's a twenty year old or something. Twenty. Well, it would have been about twenty two <laughs> at that time. You know, and looking quite scruffy as I normally do, and you'd see all the guests of the hotel. You know, I'm drinking away looking at me like oh, what's he doing in here kind of thing. <laughs> and then I'd have my pretty woman moment and uh, I was like can I get my bottle from the cabinet and they'd go and unlock the cage and I'd pull out like a 40 year old Highland Park and then I'd be like ah oh, you want to be my friend now don't you yeah. <laughs> they're like oh he's old money <laughs> oh he's old oh, money right right no, no, that makes sense he's just no money it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a bit like it as well um, coming back to auctions when I worked at Royal Mile Whiskies um, Keir Sorb, the owner, uh, Royal Mail. This is back in the days when it was just McTears was the main kind of auction. Oh, mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, Keir was buying a house that day, um, so he was in and out of the auction. But he'd given me a list of list of things that I could bid on. You know, up to several thousand pounds on things. Mm-hmm. And you know, I was like twenty three, twenty four, sat there again. And I was like, oh, the bidding would start, and I'd be like, oh, yeah, 1,000, 1,500. And you'd just see everyone going, who's he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who's this kid? Where, where's, where's he doing? <laughs> Where'd he get his money from? <laughs> it's like, it's not my money. <laughs> Did you ever have a moment in any of the auctions that, that stands out particularly memorable? Anything that you were maybe really hoping to get for, for Kier? No. With Keir's money? To be honest, uh, I, I never actually got anything. 
I, I just bit, raised the prices up for everyone else. So. Everybody loves that guy uh, in an yeah. auction. Uh-huh. Well, they should have stopped bidding. And then. I mean, I don't know how auctions work, and I never do it. I was telling Jason one of my exciting escapades collecting in my old job of auction world. Um, I had gone to collect a bottle from a client in London, so I went up and down on the train in one day, which is quite boring. Uh, so I went down, and I'd... I'd I dealt with this guy for a long time. So it was kind of like meeting a pal, like meeting a pen pal. It's really funny. Lots of people I've met all over the world that I've known through email correspondence to finally meet people. That moment where you look at each other like, not quite what I expected. Mm -hmm. Sometimes Mm -hmm. for better and other times not so great. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I met this guy and we went for coffee in Charing Cross. No, we went to St. Pancras because he was getting on the Eurostar. So he had a a huge suitcase with this bottle Mm. I was collecting. I suppose I could say what it is. Um, One of the the summer that Ardbeg released their Oroverdes and they did a a gold version. So I was collecting. He had managed to get one of the 400 (laughs) billion, no, it was four and a half litre, like the gallon bottles. And he had uh, brought it over to put into auction and he couldn't come up to Scotland. So I'd been dispatched to go and collect it from him. And uh, I I remember we were having a really nice sort of lunch and I was like, well, I suppose you should probably probably bring me the bottle out and we'll... You know, you've got a train to catch. It's been really nice. And uh, so he opened up this huge, and it was a suitcase you could have put Jason in. It was, like, it was a massive suitcase. So obviously, in a very big train station, people are already like, this is it. This is some sort of bomb scare. Yeah. Neither of them have beards, <laughs> but we are watching. And he'd wrapped it up in yoga mats. So he's like kind of like unraveling <laughs> this ridiculous. And of course, when he's unwrapped it, the bottle is... Um, not subtle at all it's gold yeah. and shiny <laughs> so the people on the table tall? next to us like <laughs> the woman who I imagine is probably called Margaret has taken out her notebook and she's writing down girl with hair tied up glasses <laughs> blonde man and uh, so he unwraps it all and I didn't have a massive suitcase I'd taken a, a hiking backpack hmm. to put it in because I thought well then it'd be on my back don't need to worry about my suitcase being taken away so that was fine and we wrapped it all up and freaked everyone out in the um cafe <laughs> and then they watched as we shook hands and bid adieu and went separate ways and I, th- I don't know how there wasn't a security scare but so then I got back on the train from London to come back to Glasgow and I, I had the bag sat in between my knees on the train up and a very helpful guy on the train was like oh, oh you can put your bag up there love if you want I'll, I'll help you lift no no don't touch my bag <laughs> I should have been thrown off that train to won't come away from her bag how Won't weird to see somebody sitting with a really full backpack between their knees from London glowing. to Glasgow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, slightly glowing around the edges. <laughs> and ticking. Yeah. Looks like there's a toddler in there getting yeah. a free pass. Don't need a ticket for him. Just, just, He's just in the put backpack. It on, put it on the shelf above you. No, no, can't. I have to touch it at all times. Can't. Can't leave it. Can't be on its side. <laughs> uh, no reason. Can't, can't lie it down. Uh, much the, no, no, actually, I can't tell you. Sorry, keep moving. <laughs> I've, I've, I have a similar story, and it also involves a bottle of Ardbeg. Um, it was um, when I was working at Duncan Taylor, they had a wee shop there, and Ardbeg did the double barrel uh, uh-huh. oh, in, yeah. in the gun yeah. case, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like £10,000 or something. Yeah. Yeah. And so they sold it to this guy, but he wanted to pay cash. And, you know, 10 grand's a lot of cash. So Duncan Ralph was delivering it, and he thought, I know, we'll meet in a bank. Oh, boy. <laughs> So they met, oh, in a, boy. they met in a bank. <laughs> this guy handed handed uh, Ronald ten grand in cash, and then he handed him a gun case <laughs> in a bank. <laughs> boy, oh boy! 
<laughs> it's just, I wish I'd seen it. Oh, oh that's just, fantastic. That's yeah. straight out of a Guy Ritchie movie, isn't yeah. it? And then the yeah, only... I got no words on that one. No <laughs> words. But it turned out it was all legitimate, so it was fine. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, so uh, Mark had mentioned uh, moving towards industry, so maybe for now that'll do the About Us section. Okay, yeah. okay. We should move There's on no to other, section no number two. Okay for uh, more industry-based shenanigans. Mm. Ramblings. Perfect. We'll do our best. Fire away. Innovation. Oh, boy. Right? Everybody everybody and their dog talks about innovation. And, oh, we're the most innovative whiskey, and we're going to, you know, uh, we're, we're, we're creating this new whiskey, so to bring a whole new breed of drinkers into the sector and it's cutting edge and it's never been done before you know like i'm gonna try and not use examples that'll get me in trouble but you know this kind of thing that i mean is like everyone Mm -hmm. speaks about innovation and whiskey personally i kind of don't think there's been anything really truly innovative since the coffee still was invented (laughs) um you know what's 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 your take on what's happening and what is innovative in whiskey at the minute Hmm. Do, do you really think the coffee still was the last innovation? Or are you just oh, that's major? Yeah. Major. I mean, yes, there have been other things. Yeah. You know, like the internet was electricity. Internet. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. all these kind of things, and lots of things have made a difference. But nothing's truly shaken up whiskey like the 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 coffee still really mm. or booze in general the coffee still has a lot to answer for and are, are are we we focusing specifically on scotch whiskey yeah anything really probably scotch whiskey more because that's yeah. my yeah more same my field. same here yeah okay. um but you know everyone comes out with putting something into uh, an ale cask or a, yeah. such and such it's not truly innovative really sure. you know it's interesting it, it, and it's Everything's been done before. Yeah. If you think you're coming up with something new for whiskey, generally speaking, it's been done before. Yeah. Because of the rules and regulations, which you need to have in place, or else, you know, where would you be without rules? That's why his handwriting got worse <laughs> on it, because he was getting angrier and angrier and. Drinking Se- seven and drinking. times on that page it says, and another thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what really grinds my gears? Yeah. <laughs> oh, but maybe uh, try and convince me that something. Well, well, you know, interestingly, the rules and regulations are getting tighter and tighter. Right? To be single malt Scotch whiskey, you you've got to use a pot stills, but rewind. I don't know, just a decade or more, and you could have, and I'm thinking specifically of of Loch Lomond. Yeah, great stuff. Right? And they would put single malt wash through their column still, and it was called single malt whiskey. It was called Ross Dew or old Ross Dew, right? But now you can't do that. Um, The term single cask, single blend is no longer a thing, and that's something that Lockside has done and yep. maybe a few others. Ben Nevis did some. Ben Nevis, yep, that's right. Um, it's, it's interesting, the more regulations you put in place, 
the tighter things become because the SWA, Scotch Whiskey Association, is trying to protect Scotch whiskey so much. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw this question back at you. Do you feel that the regulations have gotten so tight that it, it limits any real innovation? Probably. Yeah. Probably. I, I think innovation should be allowed or think like, you know, the whole, you just interviewed John Glazer, so I'm sure you had the whole thing about the transparency with him. And yeah. I, 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 sure. that is something mm-hmm. that I'm truly for, as long as you're honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think as long as what you can, you should be able to do whatever you want, as long as you tell people and yeah. you're honest with what you're telling people. Um, so, but it's still, because there's, there's, there is regulations, but you know, it's supposed to be like coloring, mm. as long as it's of a whiskey color. You know, there's a lot yeah. of uh-huh. vagueness uh-huh. in, in uh-huh. some of these things. So, um, you know, I think the rules should be opened up a little bit to allow more mm. things to be done. Um, you know, like the spice tree stuff that John did yep. once, yeah. which yep. was an yep. excellent whiskey. I actually found yep. a bottle of that. The original? Yeah, the original. Uh, nice um, find. And in the uh, cupboard in the booze room. Yeah, it's, but it, it's open. So, um, <laughs> Good news, it's in its own way. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, <laughs> So, uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's, there's, there's things that can be done, but as long as, yeah. as, long as you're, you're telling people what you're doing, then that's fine. Do, yeah. do you think, and this is a question to everybody in this room, thinking of the example of Westland, where they're using multiple types of malted barley, and they're using a Belgian yeast. There's no law against using multiple types of malted barley in Scotland. Glen uses it for Signet. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no law against using yeasts other than distiller's yeast, right? The question becomes for the big brands who have these age statements that need to stay in place and special editions that need to stay in place and so on and so forth, is there room within the scotch whiskey industry to take uh, to take cue from what the U.S. is doing from the craft side, or are big brands just too set in their ways to, to do something like that? Is there too much fear to get outside of what core range product is to allow for innovation like that to carry from the U.S. to Scotland? So I think that's I think there is um, a scope for them to play and change what they do. So when we were at Kilhoman during the festival and we were talking to Anthony Wills and he said, you know, they were experimenting on that day with using different types of yeast. And he was saying this one, we've seen a 20 percent reduction in the yield out of this. Uh, but if you're Kilhoman size, you can, I think, afford to play a little bit. Whereas yeah. I then went to one yeah. of the bigger distilleries and we had a conversation about that kind of the whole innovation and changing production and we spoke about uh, what we had seen at Kilhome and about them playing with these different yeast varieties and he said yeah we would love to do that but we know that we have to hit x million liters this year and yeah. for you to turn around and say one week we're 20 percent down well that 20 percent needs to be made up the next week <laughs> because 20 percent of 15 million could you yeah. imagine yeah. Right? having that right. meeting and so say, oh, we're down 20 percent this week but it's okay everything tastes, would be on fire <laughs> everything tastes really cool so uh 12 years time you're gonna thank me for this reduction in efficiency and i so because whiskey you can't speed it up time is you know the the limiting factor in all of it so that that 20% for an example number 
pays off somewhere else. So if you are a big brand who are not only producing big numbers like that, mm. but also it's not just because, uh, you know, you can turn around and say this um, experimental batch that we did in eight years was a one-off, we ran it, was yeah. really cool. Yeah. There's no other wider connections there, whereas these big distilleries are tied because not only do they need to make their malt, it's because it's feeding into their blends or because mm. it has to go with something else. Yeah. So that you can't, they don't have the flexibility. Maybe it's not that they don't want to, it's that they can't afford to. And I, I'm not usually one to defend no, the big I, guys. I, 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 I'm in agreement with you, which is <laughs> something that doesn't happen often uh, when we're defending the big guys. But uh -huh. you know, they, we've got to look at it is that there's different levels of the whiskey industry, you know, and also if you're, uh, I mean, yeast is hugely important. I think it's the most overlooked thing. I know you guys are now yeast tasters. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> but it's... Uh, I mean, know. cold wars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can get a cream for it. It's okay. Uh, thank you. Oh. Uh, but it's... Oh. it's um, Yeast is important. You, like, when I was growing up, um, you know, McAllen, McAllen was famed for having using four different types of yeast. Mm. Um, and, you know, they don't do that anymore. and don't advertise. Mm. But you've also got to think, for your big brands... If you do a, a big batch of something different, what if that's better than your core product? Right? Mm, yeah. And you go, oh, yeah, see if when we do this, it makes it much better than what we've been producing and telling you is great for the last hundred years. Yep. You know, so you're, you know, it's, you're changing it. It's like new Coke or whatever. Yep, remember, yep. You know, that's so, exactly the example I was thinking about. Went. Yeah. Yeah. That's, but then McAllen did do that uh, yeah. by removing for, certainly the Americans kept it, but the domestic market, when they banished all age statements and they said, oh, it's all about the colour, which I, when I first got into whiskey, I was convinced brands like McAllen did colour their whiskey and McAllen no, don't, and which McAllen is surprising, don't. No. which is interesting because you would expect them to be in the group of distilleries who... Add Especially it in, when so, so much of it's 40%, 43%. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, like, there, I think there should be more kudos to the blenders for keeping uh, such a consistent colour without anything. It's impressive. Yeah. But So when they launched, and I was in retail, when they launched this all-colour range, and we were like, oh, no, because I was in the northeast, and everyone came in and got their... They'd already had a, an absolute paddy about the triple cask arriving because that oh, was okay. bourbon being added in to a staunchly sherry brand. And then they were like, and now we're taking all your numbers away. Mm. And you will order it by the colour of paint. I'd like an amber, please. Or some people called it the, uh, it the, stripper, the series. stripper series. Right? Yeah. I'm glad someone said that and it wasn't me. <laughs> and it, amber, ruby, and sienna or whatever. So they, they went from this like, <laughs> numbers, numbers tell you everything is great to, oh, you don't need numbers. We've got colours, which yeah. tells you, which is a, a dangerous thing to get into. Like dark whiskey is the expensive and better one. And they then had to renege and say, hmm. huh, looks like the numbers are telling us people really like numbers. Yeah. And they've, they've kind of rode back on it. And so I, I guess maybe that is the risk that they, they took a, as a brand. They're like, right, we're going to take this not innovative, but a change in direction based on what honestly was probably to do with a lack of good stock that they could use for yeah. 15 and 12 and 18. And then they've had to go to everybody. We're really selling this to you. It's great. <clears throat> So we've had a think about it, guys. And actually, it turns out you were right all yeah. along. Abort, abort. Yeah, so it's not just the SWA that's putting roadblocks. It's consumers putting roadblocks because they've been taught year over year, decade over decade, that age means something. Yep. And then marketing companies that say, no, these are, these are the age statements that we have or these are the brands that we have. And then you can even go as far as at least in the U.S., and maybe this rings true with, with uh, other countries as well, 
is you've got to get your labels approved for, for things. Like it, it becomes logistical yeah. almost to make a change to your whiskey. So I think there's a, there are a lot of different elements that will slow innovation. Turning the ship around. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Very slow, and everything's affected by it. Mm-hmm. My, my answer to your question is not necessarily innovation, but instead the evolution. Mm, that's a good word. And, and after talking a few podcast episodes, Stuart Nickerson over you know, 40 years, Ali Walker over 20 years, Gordon Bruce over 30 years, and for us, clearly, as single cask nation, you'll know where I'm taking this, talking about the history, the more recent history of whiskey, and seeing distilleries as producers of a component of a blend, and how a, you know, a blend could be delicious. And if you try to get at the distillery style, well, what's that really mean to the consumer? Um, or if you're the distillery manager, why would you worry about individual single casks? Or why would you think of a small batch of single casks when you're just sending liquid out there? And now looking at us sitting in 2020, and as we were talking about last night, uh, congratulations on Campbelltown Whiskey Company with Kate and Mark Watt. Uh, terrific. And we were talking about, there are a lot of independent bottlers. They're appearing continually. Right. And and what's been very interesting to me was when Joshua and I had our first conversation in 2010, started the due diligence, got into uh, 2011, the company in 2012 and the launch. We were kind of walking into places saying, here's this idea that we've got. And it's kind of like a Scotch Malt Whiskey Society, a Gordon McPhail, a Cadenheads. Um, and and Folk in the industry were kind of like, I don't know if that's much of a go. <laughs> like, are you sure that's what you want to do? And now reaching the point where certainly in the circles that we all move, and I would imagine listeners of One Nation Under Whiskey all move, we're all thinking single cast all the time. And the thought of a blend... Maybe if it's bespoke, you just mentioned John Glazer, right? John Glazer's clearly done wonderful things for blends. Uh, High West, uh, under David Perkins, clearly did wonderful things for blends. But I wonder if our evolution will continue along that path of we're now exhausting what single casts can offer. We still love them, we're still buying them, we're still trading them, sharing them talking to all of our friends about it but will there be a room will there be more room for us for that pendulum to swing back again and and we talked about it with you on episode three i think four i get it wrong every time all right i'll be looking on my phone while uh, you continue i get it wrong every time so i'm not confident in this at all um but we talked to you when you were in charge of small batch at cadenheads and people would think, oh, that's just where you're hiding your, your pish whiskey. Mm-hmm. And it, it strikes me now, and, and certainly for all of us, sampling more and more casks, there are clearly moments when you can bring a few casks together and have something really wonderful on your hands. And, and I think this is from you as well. 
aren't we in it for the taste? Absolutely. Right? We're, why are we having such, you know... Episode four. Okay, there you go. Yeah, but I didn't count the first one as a real episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's the pilot, and then we kick into episode two is really episode one. <laughs> and, and so, you know, I worry somewhat that the purity argument is getting in the way of a good whiskey conversation, where if it's not single cask, if it's not natural cask strength, pa, pa, swill, give it to the peasants. Whereas I think whiskey can be more interesting than that and more innovative than that. You've done a really great unsell of single cask nation providers of beautiful single cask whiskies at natural strength. Ah, but you did do the double cask for the Glen Farkless. <laughs> we so did. You have a, right? You have a history of this. We have. We've done single batch nation and had success with that. But, but is what you're saying innovation? I think a swinging back of a pendulum isn't necessarily innovation. However, innovation can be found in swinging back as compass boxes definitely innovated and, and, and played with things. Oh, go ahead. I'll stop. You talk. Or in the absence of innovation, which is kind of what you chaps are suggesting, then when the pendulum does return, you're explore, exploring and experiencing new things along the way of that. So while it's not innovation, it feels new. It's a rediscovery of the past. I think it is a generational thing as well, isn't it? You know, while it's not innovative for someone that's been in the industry for 40 years, it is innovative for someone who's only just begun their whiskey journey mm -hmm. or who started drinking it 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. It's like fashion, you know. Exactly. For my mum, 60s fashion is not innovative. <laughs> for someone that was born in the 90s or uh -huh. 2000s, uh -huh. this 60s fashion is something, you know, if a fashion comes back round, yep. yeah. it is new. Yeah. Yep. I was. I it's was old just, as new again. I was yeah. just. I was just in Walker Slater this morning, in Glasgow's Merchant City. Walker Slater is one of the hottest brands in the United Kingdom, and ripples out beyond that. And when I was growing up, Walker Slater was where farmers got their clothes. <laughs> right. It's a lot of tweed. It's a lot of checked pattern. Right. And right now, young people cannot get enough tweed, enough check pattern. It's remarkable, and that's exactly that pendulum. Mm -hmm. And so I think, I think blends. I even think single malts. There, there's almost a renaissance waiting to happen there. Renaissance. And I say this from within a niche of a niche of a niche. I think mm. it's the niche of the niche of the niche that needs to rediscover what's out there again, because we've become so inured. In uh, in the world of single casks, uh, someone I, I, ate I, I, a dictionary this morning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you said manure, but no. um, you're still thinking of the tweeds yeah. for farmers. I love that smell. Um, <laughs> but I think you're right. But I think people need to possibly discover that they like drinking again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, when you That's go on to the um, the Twitter sphere or whatever. It's full of people that hate whiskey. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, I tried this and it was horrible. Oh, I tried this and it was horrible. And oh, yeah, look at this. It's terrible. And people like to say about things that they don't like rather than, here, it's booze. Drink it. Mm. Enjoy it. Yeah. I like that. That was good. Yep. You know, I think people need to drink. Um, <laughs> resp responsibly, obviously. Responsibly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, but, but people, it, you know, we're on a whiskey podcast here. You right. can't really get much geekier than that. Right. 
But sometimes you just need to forget. It doesn't matter what color the Stillman socks was when it was distilled. <laughs> you know, drink it, like it, drink another one. It's, you know, drinking for the pleasure of drinking, not for the minutiae yep. of everything. Yeah, and, that, and that's why, uh, as I'm saying the niche and the niche and the niche, I'm, I'm pointing a finger at myself uh, and those who would stand shoulder to shoulder with me. It's, it is about, you know, ooh, I don't know if I like this as much because it's not a single cask at 63.2% alcohol. Well, this uh, wasn't bottled in the 60s or the right. 70s, so it's not good. Right, I, I think there's, there's more for us to explore. Jason and I had a, a conversation with, with James Saxon, who is with Compass Box, good supporter of the podcast, Known him, known him for years, or at least you've known him yeah, for, yeah. for a bit longer than yeah, I have. Yeah. And the conversation was around, it was specifically around Compass Box, the Spaniard. And we're drinking it and we're loving it. And, and Jason says, you know what, though? I got a problem with this. And he points to the bottle and says 43% alcohol. And I do the same damn thing. Absolutely. I, if I seize 43%, Chances are I'm not going to be interested in it. For, for me, the 43% always feels like being half pregnant. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think Is that James, just the tip? <laughs> <laughs> but I think James did a wonderful job selling why he went with the 43%. Yep. You know, it was, how does it affect the spice? How does it affect mm. the mouthfeel? How does it allow the flavors to come forth? And also, who are your customers? Yeah. So you you've got to you've got to balance all yeah, of these different things. For him, the experience was king. Yeah, not not yeah. the number on the front, no. but how does that spice play through the rest yeah. of the experience? Yeah. No, yeah. I think he made a compelling um, case for I th- it. I think I think you're you're spot on there. But we kind of do do that. Mm-hmm. If that had been bottled at forty three point one, we would have been all over it, all over <laughs> it, all over. Oh, that's because interesting. Because it, you know, I, I remember once back in my Duncan Taylor days, we had we bottled a Nakando. That was naturally at forty six point zero percent, and I was like, oh, "Nobody bought it. No, nobody bought it." You know, it was just like if it had been forty five point nine, people would have been all over it. But because we told the truth, it did it at forty six. People were like, "Ah, oh, they've watered that down." He's like, "No, we've not." I just I, uh, should have put that on the label. It's like, no, yeah, really, we haven't. Yep. You know, Natural castran, comma, no, really, yeah. I think while we're at ABVs, um, it, obviously when you're looking down the way, closer to 14, this is something we had discussed the other day, is that the US sees, uh, has a much higher prevalence of whiskies being bottled at 43, and their UK counterparts are 40. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so you're, it's funny hearing you being like, mm, it's 43, like, that's my reaction to 40, and that's something when I do mm-hmm. tastings, and is a running joke when I do my tastings with Swede Scott. Uh, it's always, oh, she brought the 40%, or he brought the 40%. And uh, we had a bottle uh, of Abalawa that was an 89 as part of the Project 89 mm-hmm. that was at 40, and I poured it on a very windy day thinking, oh, well, you know, if it goes all over the floor, it was 40%. Mm. And it was, it was magic. Yeah, it and was it, wasn't, it wasn't when you were drinking, being like, God, I wish they'd put this out at 48. You were like, this is brilliant at 40. Part of my brain thought, I wonder what it would have been, but it didn't need it. I wasn't yeah. drinking it being like, oh, just just needed that extra. But I'd, my real point was the low ABV works, but similarly, I find if you're pouring for people generally at festivals and um, events, maybe where it's people trying lots of different things, um, with our first release, which is nothing below 54%, 
I wasn't mm-hmm. telling people what strength the whiskey or our beautiful rum was at until they had drunk it. Because yeah, I yeah, can yeah. guarantee oh, yeah. you, all of our stuff, I mean, give or take, maybe it's just my, my alcoholic palate. I can drink all of our first release yeah. without the addition of water because there's nothing burny yeah. in that selection. You can put water in to play with it, but it doesn't need it. But if I give you that whiskey and I hand it over and our blended malt is at 65.4%, I can guarantee you even the yeah. most connoisseur of whiskey drinkers is going to pull that face as it gets to their lips before it's even in yeah. their mouth. Yeah. Oh, 65% is very strong. Uh, exactly. And they, they do the spluttery cough thing and they elbow their mates. Oh my God, you should try this. And <laughs> so it's so strong, so strong. That's illegal. I had somebody at Glasgow Whiskey Festival say, yeah. that's illegal. And I said, only in Norway. It's not illegal here because <laughs> you can't have anything above 60 in Norway. So, um, uh, but above 60. Oh, right. oh. Yeah, there's no old people there. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's so only green as people. Very yeah. efficient society, so, though. Very efficient. Hours. That's how the Vikings did it. Um, so, but you can have the, the ABV can also, at the other end of the scale, be a complete killer, too, because people instantly, as soon as they see that high ABV, they've built an expectation that's yeah. the same as the low 40s. Yeah. Oh, it's going to burn me. It's going to be too hot. And so you're, you're fighting the whiskey really before you've given yourself a chance to try it. Mm. And actually, yep. I would pour it, and then they'd be like, oh, it's really good. I'd be like, oh, it's a 13-year-old. It's from Bourbon Cask, and it's at 59.2% or whatever. <gasps> That's so strong. Yeah. I was like, well, you, you didn't pull that face while yeah. you were drinking it. In fact, you asked me for a second one. Yeah. You, didn't, you didn't even look at the watch on the table. That's, you know, so I think it can, it, it can be quite divisive. I get into a lot mm-hmm. of trouble when I drink beer, because I always buy beer that I'm like, oh, it's from a brewery I like or it's got a good name or whatever, it honestly never occurs to me to look at what the ABV of beer is no. until I've had a few and I stand up and I think, oh yeah, I was drinking And that's all, why all we ended up doing stuff. this podcast. Because <laughs> 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 people were like, let's drink some really weird Belgian stuff. Uh, actually, to be fair, they weren't strong beers. They were just no. really nerdy beers. Yeah. Uh, so I, yeah, I think ABV can be one of those things that's maybe almost as divisive as colour of whiskey. That mm. You can be very lazy and look at Colour, like, automatically looking at this pot. Charlotte on the table, you're like, oh, my God, this is going to be amazing. And people do it uh, in Springbank when you go to the cage. Their hands are all grabby, grabby, the dark ones. And you and I have talked about a Springbank that you got that was rubbish, and it was like that colour, which is highly unusual. And I I went I called it, you know, a one-trick pony. All right, okay, so (laughs) you know what I mean. (laughs) Relatively, relatively, you know what I mean? Whereas... Um, and I think that's quite unfair because our whiskies, some of the ones we bottled, are really pale. They're fantastic, and the yeah. paleness doesn't equal no color. Uh, the paleness doesn't equal no flavor. Sorry. Yeah. I should say. Yeah. I just on that same note. So we're we're going to be bringing in single malts of Scotland into the U.S., which I'm really excited about. And so we got a whole host of different different whiskies to taste, and in that was a nine-year-old Glen Elgin. And the Glen Elgin was about the color of this glass of water over here. And I said, okay, so nine years in the most tired wood ever. It's just going to taste like nine-year-old New Make Spirit. Glorious. Yep. Buttery, rich, fruity, all, you know, all these things. A perfect little drinking experience. But people are going to bypass it because, A, it says nine years old. That's not very old. And B, the color is crystal clear, uh, and it's I would I would I would probably pass it up too. We're all human, right? You see the dark color, like Jess said, and yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that happens in shops too, I think. 
Um, if you've got, you know, you come in and you go to a really good booze shop, it's, it can be quite overwhelming, even though I usually go in with a rough idea of what I want. If you're overwhelmed, your, your eyes just go back to being... Mm depending on your experience level oh that looks dark and really good or you know if i'm buying if somebody's buying for like you know they they know their dad likes whiskey that they're, mm. they're not necessarily going to be like oh this is interesting because it's a specific single cask release mm. and that's where mm-hmm. you need to rely on the people who are selling having done all the hard work to pick the right casks to put in the bottles yeah. to make nice looking labels you're also then relying on the next step which is the people in the shop to be like we really like this. We've been drinking but it and we'd really recommend it. It's got a great mouthfeel or whatever. The people on the shop floor or the people behind the bar are the most important people because it's the people on the shop floor that sells your whiskey. And if you yeah. can get them on board, that's half the battle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yes, you need to get the person who owns the shop to buy it because they write the checks. But, you know, how often is the person that actually owns the shop doing on the selling? Doing the yeah. selling. Yeah. You know, and it's, you know, like through my kind of history, the more I've got into whiskey, the further away I've got from the customer. Hmm. You know, I used to work behind a bar. I would pour a dram and to the customer. And then I worked in a shop, so I'd sell them the bottle, they'd take it home. Then I sold to the shop. And then I, you know, got further away. So you sell them to the person who sells to the person who sells to the person <laughs> who then pours it in a bar. And so that's why it's important to make sure you get out there and meet the final consumers. Yeah. It's, uh, mm-hmm. yep. Okay, what's next on your list of professional questions? I don't know if you've got any more questions that you I'd need to... I'll uh, just go back to my mailbag. Well, I suppose you could say, um, while you're looking for another question, is, you know, you Southern Gas Nation, you're predominantly whiskey. Yes. Um, you've done rums. The, we had that rum last night. I can't remember exactly which rum it was. 16-year-old Angostura single cask. It was gorgeous. And that coming back to the strength, I think it was about 60-something. Mm, no, it's high 50s. High 50s. Yeah. yeah, I think you need to... Check your calibrator, <laughs> um, but uh, it, you know it was it was so good. Cheers. And, and you know you, I've got a couple of your bottles of mezcal that I smash into every now and right. again. Um, do you have any plans to move into any other spirits or anything else, or build up the rums, or is it just a case of if it's good you'll bottle it? it? It really is a case of that. If it's good, we'll bottle it. But to specifically answer your question, I think the thing that's on top of our list is sherry. Yeah, right? both of us. Yep. That comes into Europe, which means I get to go there. No, your sales not buying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There we I'm go. just gonna have another five-hour meeting and change my job title again. <laughs> <laughs> One of the popular things that when I'd thrown out my net of asking people, did you ha- did they have questions for you guys? The people who were this side of the pond were all absolutely clamoring, and I know the answer but I'm going to do it anyway. They, they were all clamoring for the bourbons, the things that you guys mm. have made a lot of marks for, mm. like the turkeys and stuff. I sort of know the answer you're about to give me, but I do wonder if we could have it as a, a consideration for the future because um, certainly in the UK, I think bourbon is getting a lot more serious attention paid to it. People are mm. not just dismissing it as that thing that you have with Coke. Um, the guys down at Milroy's do a fantastic job. I'm part of a really active Facebook group called mm-hmm. British Bourbon Society where yep, people are as, as hardcore about bourbons as I know people are about single malt whiskeys. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's great to be part of a group where people are um, educating me about a completely different line of drink that I'm getting into that's not the angle at which I've come into. So there's, there's a demand. It wasn't there when I worked in retail ugh, seven years ago, eight years mm-hmm. ago. People weren't coming in being like, just give me some of that single cast Blanton's. Like as, mm-hmm. as a funny side note, which will make members of BBS scream. Uh, we <laughs> used to get in Buffalo uh, Trace's antique collection 
Uh, and each store, each store of the company I worked for had a full set, which is mental because mm. there were 21 stores. So that's 21 sets of antique collection. And ah, okay. um, it didn't sell because it was really high ABV, funny looking bottles and Aberdeen funny enough. There wasn't much demand for 70 odd percent George T. Stag because it was 140 pounds a bottle. And I remember we reduced it twice. And we could not get rid of it for love no money. And in the end, one of the members of staff bought it because his pal was a bartender, so they made cocktails with it. Oh, great cocktails! Oh, really great cocktails. Brilliant cocktails. Yeah. But that at the time, wow. I worked in a shop that had access to loads of. Re the shop was well ahead of its time in terms of consumers, like loads of really cool stuff, like the bourbons. Mm. We had all the Glen Farquhar's family cast. We had an amazing collection that used to come up from Campbelltown of everything, which now wow. I cry thinking about that I didn't buy it all. But that that kind of so the market wasn't ready for bourbons and that interest. But I can see it. I can see it now in bars in Glasgow. There are a few places that have got really good bourbon selections, like Van Winkle out in the East End on Gallagate. Um, Chenansky's up at just up past the Bonnet, trying cross. There are a few. There's a handful of bars that I could go to and drink. As I guess I would class high-end bourbons as whiskies. You know, mm -hmm. like going to the Bonacord for a special dram. Yeah. There are also places I can go and drink special bourbons. My question is. Do you think there'll be a day when I can go to shops and say, would you like to buy some of my single cask wild turkeys? Let's put wild turkey to the side for now. As an example of a bourbon. As rather an than example a of a bourbon. Because we, we have bottled wild turkey. We've bottled MGP. We've bottled mm -hmm. Heaven Hill and, and, you know, some rise from Catoctin Creek and, and so on. And what I would say is, again, wild turkey aside, the most bourbon that we've bottled has been bourbon from MGP. And the problem with MGP these days is the cost per cask far outweighs, in my opinion, the quality that's in there because the final bottle price ends up being far more than we would ever charge for a bottle of bourbon. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to throw numbers out there, but when we were first buying bourbon, a single cask of bourbon cost less than four times what it is now, right? It's just, it's... Hard to access, and, and if you and can access the quality's it, quality's not went up four right. times. <laughs> right. right, so so we've basically, without saying it outright, we've basically said, okay, we're pumping brakes on MGP until pricing returns to a sensible area. Now, the majority of the bourbons that we bottled, MGP aside, have been special agreements, right? Quite often handshake agreements. Mm -hmm. And the agreement that we have with Wild Turkey is they don't want us, and I'm, and I'm going to use the U.S. as the example, but, but we'll move on from there, is they don't want us competing on the store shelves with other Wild Turkey products. And so we are to sell that through our own website and have our retailer deliver it, deliver it to the states that, that we can send bottles to. Okay. Now, having said that, there has been talk of, you know, once you buy the, the cask from us, it's yours to do what you want outside the U.S. It's like, oh, okay, that's interesting. And we almost put a cask of wild turkey out here. In the end, that didn't happen. So we'll see. I think, I think the door, I think there's a potential for the door to be open. We just want to make sure that we're having that conversation again with our friends at Campari that are on wild turkey. Just... Please reiterate, you're okay with us bottling this, putting it in 70CL, 
and sending it out to, to Europe. And if they say yes. If we screw up that relationship and it you know tanks the wild turkey that we have in America, we're we're gonna upset some some many, many people. No, that's that's fair enough. I wasn't sure if um, I knew there would be kind of like the contractual relationship issues, but I wasn't sure if it was also dictated by the tariffs of bourbon coming over to us here. Right, so there's that, there's yeah. that too, right? You, we have the stupid 25 coming this way, you have the stupid 25 going that way. If there is an appetite for it and we're able to do it, we will most definitely do it. It's not our top priority, though. Again, thinking of branching out, our top priority is sherry. Awesome. Um, I want to bottle stuff that I am incredibly passionate about. Whiskey is number one, specifically Scotch whiskey, and then sherry. And uh, you're not too far off from that, right? Yeah, no. And, and actually, I think about it and looking at the line, there's a lot of good rum out there. A lot of good uh, rum. And yep. the conversation you know, we've had with Mark previously is, you know, we're Scotch palate guys. You know, just for the three of us having that conversation. If I sample a rum that makes me go, oh, that's tasty. Oh, I like that. I can't tell you about the rum industry. I can't tell you about rum production, but I can tell you if, if I like what's in the glass. And for those that have followed the nation, it's a palate thing, right? We all share a very similar palate. So here comes a rum that may very well be of interest to you. And, and in a way, it's, it's taking a cue from your book. You know, you've all, and I'm, so the listeners know I'm looking at Mark Watt right now. Um, you know, you've always talked about, I'm, I'm a whiskey guy, but I, there are drinks that I like, and if I like it, I want to bottle it. You don't have to know the ins and outs. It gets back to what uh, Gene Sharness from Warehouse Liquor says. Don't let the facts get in the way of flavor. Yep. You like it. You like it. Yep. Yep. So I'm excited to explore rum more, learn about rum more. I think Miss Lomas is uh, is on rum too. And I love rum. I'm really excited about going on my work trips to Trinidad, <laughs> which is much further away and sunnier than Oh, shit. Than we Spain. did say global, didn't we? Oh, no. Back to Europe. No. Also, also not part of the US, so I feel like that's still under my remit. <laughs> <laughs> I, th I think rums equally um, like I think bourbons has been coming in the UK for a long time I feel like rum is on a much faster track to becoming interested because I think whiskey drinkers are taking note and being like oh what can we what else can we try I mean going back to my old days in the shop as well um, we used to sell the Berry Brothers and Rudd uh, single cask rums so that was again quite a long way ahead of the curve they were expensive expensive even for then rums mm. but beautiful stuff I, I, one of the Panama rums that we had as a sample in the shop oh so good yeah and I, I think it's it's interesting seeing taking cues from other independent bottlers seeing what they're looking at uh, their outturns you know it turns out in Campbelltown they've done rum for ages so they had to find a different gaff which was uh, Cachaca because mm -hmm. that was the logical progression Cachaca Cachaca Hakuna Cachaca so I mean like, wonderful I'm not <laughs> I think it's interesting seeing that there are other independent bottles who are now also putting serious consideration and lines of rums out not just toying with a few mm -hmm. casks but mm. a whole line of rums coming so I think that's quite exciting and it's um, it's having uh, teaching a set of, I'm going to use the word nerds, 
who are really passionate about whiskey and everything with that, that these skills and the knowledge that they have actually can be transferred to other things. So all that kind of mm -hmm. like nerdy knowledge that you have about whiskey actually transposes really beautifully into rum. Absolutely, yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and a name that we've mentioned many times on the podcast, but Christopher Gronbeck, uh, Barrel Thief in, in Fremont, Seattle, loves his single malts, loves his rums, loves his teas, loves chocolate, nerds out on all four of them in all the, the exact same yeah. way, right? Where is it? Where's it coming from? Where's it going to? How's it making it over there? And what does it all taste like? It's mm. all driven mm -hmm. by the flavors of it. So, yeah, there's there's really nothing off the table for mm. us. If we like That's it, good. we'd love to put it in. We also just did a, a survey of nation members and asked them, is there something you think we should be bottling that we're not doing? Yeah, I think I filled it out. Good on you, thank you. We're a democracy now. Okay. <laughs> not a democracy, but we accept suggestions. <laughs> if we find the Mark Watt one, we'll delete it. <laughs> oh, okay. It was under a false name. Uh -huh. <laughs> but no, I think there's, uh, like, if you look back 20 odd year ago when I first got into whiskey, legally, um, you know, people were much more pigeonholed in their drinks. Mm. You, were, you know, you were a whiskey drinker, you were a rum drinker, you were a brandy drinker. Or you were a gin drinker, but people were weird that were drinking gin back then because it obviously wasn't fashionable. I thought you were going to break into the... Uh, you you oh, get yeah. knocked down, you get up again. <laughs> Chumba Wumba. <laughs> You're a whiskey man. You're yeah. a brandy man. I get knocked down. <laughs> you know, um, whereas now you go to whiskey shows or whatever and there's all other spirits. Mm -hmm. And people, you know, you just need to look at our booze room and, you know, 20 years ago it was whiskey. And now there's everything, yeah. you know, Claren, everything. Armagnac. Uh, uh, Armagnac, so, yeah. Uh, Calvados, mm -hmm. Cognac, Cachaça, obviously. Mm -hmm. Quite a lot. Lots of mezcal, uh, lots of rums. Mm -hmm. well, I'm looking forward to going home now, actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Suddenly very thirsty. That's what time, time with us will do that yeah. to you. <laughs> so, Do you drink bourbon? I do, but not often, uh, just because I've never really had a source for it because okay. I would have to pay for it. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, um, but no, we do have some bourbons in the house. Um, but again, you're looking at bourbon revolution. You know, at Cadenheads, we had all the Heaven Hills, pre-fire Heaven yeah. Hills and things. They used to sit on the shelves for months. Unbelievable. So crazy. You know, and now, you know, they don't see a shelf because, yeah. you know, straight to auction. Yep. Um, but it's... Save me, save it. You know, um, so it, it, times have changed and people are looking into different things and it's uh, it's a changing world. Hmm. If there's... So I'm going to throw this out there as a, as a kind of time theme thing. Uh, I'd be really interested to hear Mark's answer, but you two first, because we're interviewing you. If there's one thing you could go back in time and get hold of that you think, oh, I really wish I'd done that now maybe it's hard to narrow it down to one like one or two you know when people talk about oh in my day blah 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 are there yeah. one, can you think of one or two examples where you think oh man I should have snapped that right up professionally or as a punter uh, either I think <laughs> oh professionally is probably more more telling <laughs> and I, I can actually probably give you both quite easily uh, number one as a punter when I was getting into whiskey in the mid to late 90s the rare malts came out from yeah, Diageo, yeah. and we were around them all the time. I remember them being somewhere around 70, 80 pounds a bottle and thinking, 
holy moly, that's a lot of money to spend on a bottle of whiskey. <laughs> yeah. Who, who's buying it and how do I get to drink with them? Uh, we also ran the Aberdeen University Whiskey Society. So when we were able to, we would buy the rare malts. So we could obviously divvy up the cost, but everyone could get a taste of it. Um, and to see what they have become. Um, and I know there's a, a whole bunch of whiskies have become really, really crazy. But just because I was so present with them, mm-hmm. it's really striking to me where they've gone. Um, and then as a company, I remember from our very early days, we were offered, offered a small parcel of sherried Macallan. Um, that we would have had to have sold for between 250 and 300 pounds a bottle. And it was 25 years. 25-year-old Sherried McAllen. <laughs> 250 to 300 pound, uh, dollars a bottle. Listeners, Mark Watt is under the table crying. <laughs> <laughs> Normally he's under the table, but this time he's crying. Rocking, crying. And, um, and, and we walked away from it because it was too much money. We didn't think we could get that sold... Um, like I'm not putting an actual year on it. I'm just well, you, you maybe kind of did with your <coughs> details, um, but it was early doors for the company, and yeah. it was just gonna be too much. We didn't think we had the nation behind us. Like obviously, if we saw that now, the price is ridiculous. But we even just did it. We still are focused on pricing when we just did the 30 year old single cast Bowmore mm-hmm. for three nine five, and we thought. That's a lot of money. This might take just a little bit of time to sell out and 150 bottles sold in four minutes. Uh, so regular listeners know that inside out and back to front. That was for Kate Watt's benefit there. Um, I thought it was really funny having had... Sorry, I'm, I'm going to yeah, cut in here. Yeah. Also the listeners who may not be um, up to speed with the UK scene. So I remember you telling us, uh, oh, it's going to be $395. And you were like... Oh, that's going to be expensive. And I was like, you're insane. You're mm-hmm. double it, double it. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, these days, I keep, I say, no, we should make everything cheap. Everyone should buy everything. Mm-hmm. And start with me. Uh, in the UK, at the same time that that came out, so that was a March 89 distillation. Could you pick a June one next time? Mm-hmm. We're looking. Uh, <laughs> the, 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 there was another uh, independent bottler here in Glasgow, and it, it's obviously not quite a sister cask, but also a March 89 bottle, same time bourbon so it's not you know a sherry cask and that was uk's price for uh, 995 and that also sold out and i think that's crazy uh well so it is crazy i do think that's crazy and part of the reason why we said no to that mccallan those many years back part of it was a we didn't think people would buy it at the price that we would have to sell it out Part of it was, we only have so much cash. Where are we going to put this? And a big part of it for me was, would I spend that money for that? And the answer was an immediate no. But when I think of our Bowmore, I thought, okay, 395, it's pushing it. But I can't find any, you know, good 80s Bowmore any, anymore. So maybe I'll, maybe I would put money toward that, you know? I, I wouldn't put 995 toward it, but... Well, and I'm going to throw this in for for listeners that have made it this far. Inspired by Mark Watt, I'll give you a a little bit of information. All right. The second woodcut bottling, the Bowmore was the first woodcut in a a release. Yeah, that's what we're calling the label series, the woodcut series. And so the second one is coming. And even in the face of tariffs, 25% tariffs, the second woodcut 
label will be $395 as well. And when you hear where it's from... Oh, we can announce it by the time this is live. Really? Yeah. Okay. So that's a 30-year-old imperial. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for that response. Thank you. Thank you, friends. And so there's, there's a 30-year-old Imperial at 395 that we could come in and rip the arse out of. We don't want to. We're not going to. It's Even with tariffs, it's going to be the same price as a Bowmore 30. Such good guys. This is how we've built the nation. This is how we'll continue to treat the nation. It's, it's not going to be... Like, 395 is still a lot of money. It's, yeah, it's still yeah, a yeah. lot of money. It's a lot, a lot of money. But for a 30-year-old closed distillery... Demolished and a good distillery. one. <laughs> right? and a, Demolished and a good one. A good one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I always so, forget to add that part. It's just to throw closed distillery around, right? Like, they're all good once they're closed. That's your joke. <laughs> <laughs> so that's... See, what you're doing is you are allowing nation members to not have their regrets or things that they have uh, missed exactly. out on. Exactly. So mm. going around the room, what about you, Joshua? What, what do you think? Oh, man, if I could go back. If I can turn back time. Um, so from, from the punter standpoint, I'll never forget seeing the 2007 21-year-old Lagavulin hit online shops. And it was 200-ish, 250 pounds, somewhere Yeah, in that ballpark, there. somewhere 200 to 300, depending on when he first saw yeah. it. Yeah. And so this is 2007, 2008. I got into whiskey 2005-ish. So right around the time Haida was pregnant with her first daughter. Um, no correlation there. Um, and I remember seeing that. I said, there, there's no way. There's no way on God's green earth I'm ever going to spend this amount of money. And it ended up selling out. And uh, Marshall Naiman, Los Angeles single cast nation member, sent me a sample of it. And it was, and this, he sent me the sample maybe 2009, 2010. And I just said, this is the best whiskey I've ever had. It's For me, it's ticking all of the boxes. Every single box I have has been ticked. And I immediately went online and said, all right, let me find, let me find, okay. Is it still 200? Is it still 250? Whatever the, whatever the price was. And of course, I didn't find one. I ended up buying one on auction for far more than I would, far more than I ever thought I'd spend on a whiskey. But I, it's one of those ones where it was a regret. And I, I had mm-hmm. to go back and... Regrets cost um, money. They cost a lot of money. Just look at so. divorces. There you go. Regrets. I've had a few. From a business standpoint, you took my McAllen example. Okay. <laughs> so this, this, I don't have a regret about this, but we made a, Jason and I made a decision that we are very happy that we made. But there's an interesting story. So as you guys know, we bottled a nine-year-old Glenn Farkless, working with Glenn Farkless, and it was a marriage of two casks. What are you pouring us? 1989 Bunnahabin. Well, I'll take some 1989 Bunnahabin while I'm preparing myself for this story. So we first started our relationship with Glenn Farkless, and this was 2012, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I'll, I'll never forget. We rang up George, and we said, hey, George, we were single cast nation. We're really interested in, in bottling whiskey from you. We'd love to meet with you. And he had said... Happy for you to come down. Just know the answer is going to be no. I said, okay, that's, that's fine. So we go there. We make a presentation. We, we tell him why we want to bottle his whiskey and, and what the aim is. 
And he ended up saying yes to us after he promised us a no. So that was good. It was very good. And he said, all right, let me get you some samples. And what, what are you looking for? And we said, oh, you know, 15, 18-ish years old, somewhere around there. And he said, I got a good little parcel of 1994 samples. So I said, that's perfect. We're going to be visiting in August, whatever the year was. And said, perfect. I'll, I'll, I'll have Kate deliver the samples. There we go. Right? <laughs> yeah. And so we, we, we get up to the distillery, and uh, a lovely woman named Kate... Watt at the time? Were were you a Watt at the time? Uh, maybe no. No. When did you guys get married? Uh, 2013. Okay. Yeah, it was last year our fifth? No, the year before was our fifth wedding anniversary, and we both got the date wrong. <laughs> 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 so we knew, like you know, fifth wedding anniversary, and for some reason we both had it in our head that it was the fifth. I think because it was five years. <laughs> so we were staying up at Mark's mum's at the time, and she'd come down. Like on the morning of the start, oh happy anniversary! And we're like, no, it's not till Saturday. And she's like, no, it's today. <laughs> we're like, <"All> right. <laughs> but the good thing, at least we like both got it wrong, <laughs> which is fine. I thought you there both you thought it was the same wrong yeah. date. Is really yeah. impressive. I tell you, the, the couple that gets the anniversary <laughs> dates wrong together stays together. <laughs> yeah. So long story short, I probably wasn't Kate Walt yeah. when you met me. So okay. you were Kate. Right. 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 Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Uh, so you delivered us four samples. Yeah. And they're all 1994 single casks. Uh, also, to make a long story short, the one part of the jigsaw puzzle we didn't know was the pricing. And the pricing we would have gotten on the U.S. side. And uh, the, the whiskey had been bottled. It had been labeled. It had been palletized, ready for pickup. We said, this, that's wonderful. I'm glad this is all coming to plan. But we, we cannot move on this until you let us know the price. And so finally, the importer was able to put the numbers together. And they gave us the price. And the final sell price for the bottle for an 18-year-old single cask would have been 300-ish, give or take. I forget the exact number, but, but it was high. Definitely, in our opinion, too high for a single cask of 18-year-old whiskey. So we said no to it. And we're proud of saying no to that. We'd been teasing to our members yep, the whole support, time. This is coming. Here's, here's the label. Look at the label. Here are the tasting notes. And, you know, people are frothing at the mouth. They can't wait. And so we had to deliver the news. You know, I'm sorry. This is not happening. Yep. And here are the reasons why. And thankfully, we got nothing but good feedback. Everybody said, thank you for looking out for us. Really 100%. appreciate that. So the interesting thing is... However... <laughs> because the whiskey had already been bottled, George needed to put it somewhere. He can't put it back in cask. It's got to go somewhere. So I think he ended up putting it into 70 CL bottles from 75 and then sold it to Taiwan. And that year... That particular cask was Whiskey of the Year in Taiwan. (laughs) (laughs) So on one hand, yay to the selection. On the other hand, Single Cast Nation had nothing to do with it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You, Mark? Cabernet 1972 from November Desolation. That's specific. (laughs) What day? What day? Uh, I'm not worried about the day. What about the socks? (laughs) They they didn't have socks. Uh, no, no, that's probably one of my big ones that I think, why didn't I just buy all of it um, instead of selling all of it? 
Um, that is probably my big regret is not buying lots more of that. Other than it being a shuttered distillery and maybe a fun year, what, what was it about the 72? It was just some fruity, kind of tropical fruits, but lots of appley notes, um, just a perfect balance, like ticking all the boxes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was at a decent price as well back then. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it was, you know, some of the first casks that I'd ever been involved with actually selecting for bottling and things like that. Um, and so that's probably the big regret is not getting more of that. But then there's mm. about a million other whiskies. Yeah. You know, I remember when I was working at the Craig Hotel and Macallan 25-year-old was £95 a bottle yeah. and thinking, yeah. I wonder if I'll ever be able to afford that. Right. And obviously the answer is no. Um, but, you know, Springbank 21. Springbank yeah. oh 21. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. A, a friend of mine, Betty Peeline, and the guy that got me into whiskey at University of Aberdeen, had a whiskey magazine from way back in our days then, and he uh, took a photo of it and sent it to me just a couple of years ago. And there's one page that's taken a photo of a, a shop owner, but all the bottles behind them have got nice big price tags on them, uh, on the shelves. And you can just <laughs> go through it, just weeping, absolutely weeping. This is this is how I know time travel is not possible, because no one's gone back and bought all of that. It's unbelievable. Yeah, you didn't look at that picture again and just see an empty wall, <laughs> <laughs> like the future style. The bottles are just fading. They're fading away. away. <laughs> uh, so that's a pro. Do you have a, the punter level? Just the the fact that those. Um, and the Callens and the Springbanks and the parcel of Caroni. Oh, interesting. Right. Um, probably parcel of Little Mill that only mm. partially bought rather than mm. buying it all. Um, but those are more professional level. Yes, as a consumer, do you yeah. have as consumer? Uh, Bowmore sixty six. Mm. Um, it was two hundred two hundred pounds a bottle, um, and yeah, it's so tropical fruit, so. Juicy. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, when I worked at the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society, they had a 12-year-old Macallan bourbon cask, slightly peated. And this was way, befo- way before fine oak and everything. And I was like, you have to tell people that this is not a standard <laughs> Macallan, you know, because yeah. your Macallan punter, when they come in and they order the 24-point whatever, will be disappointed. Yeah. But I loved it so much that I bought a case of it as a student and, <laughs> and gave it all away, pretty much, because I was like, it was one of those drams, you're like, you have to try this, you have to try this, you have to try this, and then you're like, oh, I've drunk it all. <laughs> and I wish I'd stuck some of that aside just to, to have. Um, but that was that was a beaut. Oh, boy. But I seem to have so much, I had much more whiskey when I was a student, or so it seemed, but... That can't actually be yeah. possible. Given yeah. what we know about you professionally, yeah. that does not yeah. seem possible. Yeah, you, you didn't have a mortgage. You didn't have a child. Yeah, you didn't that. have mm. highfalutin tastes in other places. True. Quick, Jess, what are yours? Yeah. Quick, <laughs> quick. Um, I think I think having when I now think about what we used to have in the shop and why I wasn't hoovering everything up, I think I used my first paycheck with Peckham's to buy. Uh, Christmas, I treated myself to one of the first Octomores. Uh, that was quite expensive. I think I paid, for me, on minimum wage, I paid £70 pounds for my mm-hmm. first Octomore. Uh, and that was great. Uh, things that I wish I'd bought, I was at Balvenie when they released the first ton, 1401, and that was like 
I think 185 quid. Yes. Good God, nobody will ever pay that for whiskey. Yep. Didn't. I should have Same taken here. it oh all. My gosh. <laughs> I do have another regret. Um, <laughs> Just the one. Many regrets, but there was... So one time I was in a bar in Japan. Um, uh-huh. So that narrows down the stories. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I, was, I was still a student at the time, but I was going across to Japan to do the Highlander Inn bar replica at the Hank Yu department store. And I walked into this bar and the barman poured me one of each of the four different Arbeg provenances. So the, cause there was one for America, one for Japan and two yeah. casks for Europe. And he poured me one of each of them. And I sat there and I was like, I can't afford this. I really can't afford this. I don't know how I'm going to pay for this. Um, it's hard to enjoy them when that's going through exactly. your head. Yeah, right. So I drank all four of them crying. I was like, <laughs> so, so I didn't enjoy them at all because I was just like, oh. oh. And then eventually I was like, okay, I'll try my credit card. Maybe it'll work. You know, my credit card had like a 250 quid limit on it or something, you know. And the guy went, no, no, it's okay. No charge. Whoa. I said, you bastard. Could you not have told me that beforehand? He only made the decision when he saw you crying into the glass. And, oh, I've got to do something for this boy. Going through your pockets, opening your wallet, offering yourself on the street outside. So, yeah, that was a regret, but not my fault. And what about you, Kate? Um, I think mine, it's got to be all the old Springbanks. Because when I first started working at Springbank... Mm. The 21-year-old was still available. Some of the old, like, 1966 local barley was yeah. still on the go. Like, Which is jolly tasty, thanks to Jess. It just been bottled kind of before I started, but it was all still available. But it was my first job. I had, like, you know, 100 <laughs> just ridiculous credit card debts and stuff. I was only just getting into whiskey, and it never occurred to me to buy any of it. So all of this amazing stuff. The 32-year-old as well was fantastic. And while I got to try all of it, mm-hmm. I never actually Owned it. bought any to keep, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is quite sad. I do, though, have <laughs> still, which Mark hasn't managed to prize out my hands yet, I got one of the first, the batch one of the 1966 Rechar, oh. um, 1996, sorry, Rechar Sherry <gasps> Springbanks. Angel's Tears. Which is amazing. <laughs> and it's still, we've not opened it. Well, Mark's looking at me like, I don't remember you having this, but we do. Is that the one from the warehouse? No, no. This no, this was like, oh. this oh. was bottled, God, it must have been 2006-ish. Oh, wow. Okay, so, so not Angel's Tears. 2006-ish, and it was a 1996, it was batch one of this, like, D-char, rechar oh. sherry, and it was so good. And I do still have a bottle of that. Sorry, wow. we. <laughs> oh, now you're using the we. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so that was a happy not regret. But yeah, the kind of older Springbanks, the ones that kind of got away that I could have mm. had. But then I had no money in those days. It, you know, I still, even though it was 60 quid, it's like, that's like four nights out drinking in the feathers. That is like, yeah. you know. So, yeah. In, in the spirit of a Springbank regret that was just completely out of our control, uh, obviously, Single Cast Nation established yes. 2011 when we pitched up at Springbank's doors and said, we'd love to buy some casks. They said, really sorry, the program ended in 2010. <laughs> 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 in the what? distance, we heard, <laughs> <laughs> what a 
about? And they were like, no, really sorry. We're just, the program has ended. It's it's over. Yeah. And you talk about crying in front of people. It's just like, this is the saddest news. <laughs> Off by a year. So there we have it. Do we have a quick round of anything to get out of here on? Uh, okay, so I suppose I should say thank you for allowing uh, mine and Mark's ridiculous. No, no, I retract that. Our excellent idea at 3am while we were busy not waking Kate up. So great on two levels. And, and I think we've been pretty tame. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, was, I was expecting some harder questions from the, the likes of you. But, yeah. I also find that, you know, if you, if you mess it up the first time, there's no comeback. Who's saying we're not next time going to be slightly more mutinous and all? So let, let me ask you this. I'm going to ask, I'm gonna ask uh-huh. both of you this really quickly. If we left this recording without you asking a certain question that you really wanted to ask and you had regrets, well, what's, the, what's the one question that you, you need to get out of your own? I don't know if I should ask you that for it to be publicly replayed. <laughs> <laughs> that's for the after podcast. Okay. Well, that's right. for the Patreon yeah. edition. Yeah, that's, that's there the, you go, yeah. right? Oh. Patri- so not the, the tequila, Jason. <laughs> Petraeus, General Petraeus, that's yeah, how General you pronounce Petraeus, it. General Petraeus, that's it. That's it. And oh. the Porteus Mills as well. Oh, yeah. the, the good Yorkshire Porteus Mills. I've just thought of one other question which might be useful for us. You know, you guys are independent bottlers. You know, we're <laughs> trying to start being independent bottlers. So what advice would you give us? <laughs> so it's so uh, first there is cognitive dissonance yeah, when Mark is, yeah. Watt and Kate Watt ask yeah. us for advice. Yeah. That's I don't know what to do with that. Oh, I, I know what to say. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you know, the trite answer would be don't do it. That's that's <laughs> I, that's trite. I, I, you're not gonna get that from me. Um you just touched on this a moment ago, which is be aware of what you need to buy a lot of because it's yeah. there and it's good. However, as an independent, independent bottler, there's finite money, which is what he just alluded to, right? Pointing at Joshua. <clears throat> and it's that trade-off that's the hard part. When you look at it and you say... We could take charge of all this stock, but it means we're not going to buy anything else that comes up to us. And how do you balance that? How do you wage that? Uh, That'll be tricky. And then the other very real reality uh, in 2020 is getting the best storage and bottler, the warehousing and the bottling without that being reliable day in and day out you've got nothing mm. nothing at all and and again you've you've been very fortunate Caden Heads and Duncan Taylor it was both in house and i'm sh- i'm sure there were jobs contracted out in other places at Duncan Taylor all, everything 100% on both places so so you've been internal now you're going external that is very difficult when your bottler tells you we'll get to your cask in 4 months and you're like, no, that's not how the year works. <laughs> this is, <laughs> this is going to be painful. Yeah. So, so the external is, is tough, and then the balancing the funds is crazy tough. And then the one thing that I would add, and this was, this was something Andy Hogan told, told us early on. He said, no matter what you do, whatever the margin is that you need to make, never compromise that. 
never, ever compromise that. If you go too high, you're going to upset customers. If you go too low, where's your longevity? You're always going to run into situations where, oh, you know, maybe you got this parcel of whiskey that you got a really good deal on, and this other parcel that maybe wasn't such a good deal, and you can rob from Peter to pay Paul and even out that margin, um, so long as it's something you feel comfortable, it's, you know, a good price on a shelf, but make sure you're making the money you need to ensure you're growing your business. But look at the two of you, right? Look at the history you've got. Look at the right. distilleries. Look at the independent bottlers you've been with. We were two blogging jamokes who thought, <laughs> yeah. who thought maybe we can get away with something here. And, and we've <laughs> built it off the back of folk who knew us online. Like, you two are coming in with a history that's, that's unlike had, yeah. you know, what a lot of new independent bottlers are bringing to it. And so the additional bit would be get your story straight. Right? <laughs> For the right. police? Or <laughs> sure, Ossifer. <laughs> Corroboration. Make sure the world, and it already does, but make sure the world knows who you are and what you're bringing to this that is particular to your endeavor, your Campbellton Whiskey Company. That's going to be a big one. Mm-hmm. Do you want to pitch anything at them? Wow, there's much left to... I don't, can't give advice to these two. Global sales <laughs> manager. Know, absolutely. I'm with you. I, just, it doesn't make sense that I could be giving advice to you too, <laughs> oh, as they roll out of the office. <laughs> my, my advice is so good to <laughs> Kate, she's out the door already. <laughs> Well, we certainly did reveal a few secrets along the way there. Mm-hmm. That was a ton of fun being in a, you know, having a chance to just sit down and talk to Mark, Kate, our own Jess, who we know so well and yet still get to learn new things about. Mm-hmm. While we were playing that back there, I actually had to go and pour myself a wee dram. I haven't actually had a post-Passover dram of whiskey yet. And so all that talk about the Abala or Abuna Alba really got me thinking. Ah, That's okay. why I should pour in my glass. So I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Batch 001. It's a US exclusive. And mm. and I, I picked up my bottles from Bikram at Norfolk Wine and Spirits ah. in Massachusetts. You were kind enough to pick them up. Yes. And yep. schlep them uh, to Jared Card for me. Jared Card then brought them to DC. <laughs> I then had a meeting in DC <laughs> with Jared and collected the bottles from him. So Takes a village, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> but it, that, that bourbon maturation is just remarkable on it. Like, yes, it's a younger Abelauer, mm. but at 57.1 and with such fresh bourbon going on, it's really in my wheelhouse. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think it's just, it's lovely, it's fresh, it's fruity, it's bright. Uh, I like it quite a lot. That being said, when Aberlauer were doing their Bottle Your Own at the distillery, mm. which, mm-hmm. which stopped, what, September 2014? Now it's almost a full six years ago. Yeah, now you just buy the distillery bottles in the, right? in the visitor center, the visitor shop. But going there, you know, you always had the opportunity to get a sherry one or a bourbon one. And I always got one of each, but the bourbon one was always the better of the two. 
And while this new Alba or Abuna Alba is, I don't think is as good as some of those. A good by, idea. By itself, it's lovely. It's Absolutely. Just a, yeah. yeah, great, great little drinker. It is funny for me, though, because it really does fall in with what Oak Cross is doing, but just at a higher percentage. Mm. You know, Compass Box's Oak Cross that I was mentioning in the, the top of the episode. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it gives the, the fruit, it gives the floral, it gives the bright. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's an easy dram. You know, here we are recording in the morning, and uh, it goes down very easy, even at 57.1. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you are if you are one of our many many listeners outside of the United States, I do recommend seeing if you can track down a bottle at, at auction. If for no other reason, I think it's a lovely point counterpoint to the standard Abuna. Mm-hmm. You know, you get the one that's the heavily sherried, get the one that's the heavily bourbon, sit them side by side, and have a rare old time by yourself. Well, I I, th- I think the Abuna Alba does a really good job highlighting the spirit character. You know, with the regular Abuna, sometimes you get amazing sherry presence, but, you know, where, I, I wouldn't say where is the Aberlauer, but it, it, the Aberlauer spirit character is always playing second fiddle to that lovely, sh- yeah. you know, hit of sherry, where this, you get to see all of it. You get to see the yolk frame the spirit in a lovely little way. Well, and just as you're talking about being at the distillery, when you, when you do the tour and you have the tasting afterwards, they, they were one of the first to include new make spirit. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. In in their in their after tour tasting, mm-hmm. and it was a great window to see a what's coming off the still, b what's happening during maturation, and c see how special the single cast bottlings could be. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And so yeah, th- this with the age and with the bourbon, it really does allow you to connect back to the spirit Beautiful. running through the stills. Nice. And, and I see you lifting something to your nose. What do you have there? I decided. <laughs> Because we were talking about Springbank earlier, that maybe now is a good time to to pour a little Springbank. But I I still was I, I loved this idea of drinking something that required a little less brain power and a little more just hey let's sit and enjoy this. So what I poured was a Springbank Society bottling, but it's it's. The Hazelburn 11-year-old, first Phil oh, bourbon. nice, nice. I've had that with you. Yeah, we, we tasted it at the distillery in September 2014 before it was bottled. And then it was bottled in October 2014. And, and I made sure to get a couple bottles. And as you could see, I have about a heel less left of my second bottle. <laughs> um, it was just lovely and continues to be lovely. These fresh bourbon matured whiskeys just go down so easy. So easy. So easy. Yeah. Oh, I love how bright they are. Oh, you can drink them in the morning, the afternoon, pre-dinner. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Oh, that com- that complements the sencha so nicely. Oh, really? Oh, that is lovely. Oh, yeah. I poured the whiskey really cuz I ran out of sencha tea. But just the little half cup I've got here with that whiskey. Mm. Oh, that's lovely. Now I have to do a whiskey and tea pairing. <laughs> we shall see. We shall see. Um, I think your sencha would just go with so many you know, bourbon matured whiskeys. Bourbon matured, not sherry matured. No, 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 no. Bourbon no. matured whiskeys. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, anywho, anywho. So you, you've got a thing up your sleeve. What you got up your sleeve? Because the interview is a bit long, uh, I don't want to take up too much of people's time. However, we did get a new comment, uh, a new review on Apple Huzzah, iTunes. Thank and, you. Yep. Thank and so you. I wanted to share that. 
So we'll do a little name name dropping. We we did tell people if you if you want to give us a review on Apple iTunes, preferably the five star uh, caliber, that would, be, that's, that would that's, be loved. That's best. And if you want to leave leave a little note, so long as it's a nice note, please do. And if you want to subscribe, that would be magnificent. Oh, yeah, please subscribe. So we got a nice five-star review. Oh, thank you. Thank you. From someone named A Miller's Life. Oh, yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Good member. Well, I, I don't know if I'm meant to give away too much information. Don't call him a member because uh, he says he can't wait to try his first SCN dram. Well, I know that he now has it in his hands. Okay. Because I remember seeing it being shipped to him. I love that he, that he now has some of our whiskey. That, that's I a, knew you would love that, that Joshua. That's a lovely thing. That's a lovely thing. So, A. Miller's life. That's an interesting... Uh, do, you, do you think it's like, you know how Miller's... Squirrel! You know how Miller's the, the champagne of, of beers? Mm. Is, he, is he like the champagne of, of people? I just figured he's up there milling flour. He's probably yeah. a big, big player in the bread industry. Oh, a Miller. Oh, I see. Yeah. And what do Millers do? They... they Grind, no. yeah, they mill. <laughs> you think he's French? Is that how we get French milled soap? What does he say? So he says, so it's titled, Join the Nation! Exclamation point. Oh, yes. Yeah. And the comment is, may have found the perfect whiskey nerd podcast! Mm. Exclamation point. Keep up the great work and can't wait to try my first SCN dram. I hope you enjoyed it because... I know you have it in your house now. <laughs> Not that I'm watching you too closely, but here we are. Yeah. We wow. shipped, what, eight 800 pappy bottles? And here I am saying, yep, I know exactly who that person is. I know exactly when they got their bottle. Because you're a creeper. <laughs> well, to be honest with you, he actually started following me on Instagram. Oh, okay. So once I saw that name following me on Instagram, um, I saw it come through in the orders. And oh, okay. uh, and he he's in Idaho, and I've clearly got a ton of friends in Idaho. Oh, yeah. um, I, I used to teach at the University of Idaho in Moscow, Idaho. So it's that that state is near and dear to my heart, mm-hmm. and so that's for a host of reasons. This person has been to the forefront of my brain. I don't creep on everybody who places orders. Not everybody, just him, maybe a few others. Um, well, thank you, A Miller's Life, and thank you to anyone else who who wants to review the podcast. Give us uh, four or five stars; that would be lovely. And if you leave a little kind note in Apple Podcasts where where you comment and all that, we will uh, will read that here on Wax, and we'll name check you. And as always, we just thank you for your support, and we thank anyone who 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 shares the good news about the podcast 100 percent. yeah we've been saying it for years now just watching the listenership grow Mm -hmm. has just been magnificent and knowing that we are speaking to people in south africa we are speaking to people in australia across the united states the united kingdom we're now seeing more of europe appearing germany the netherlands sweden like Thank you so so much. It means a lot. Um, I, I keep, you know, I'm st- I'm stopping myself from continuing to name countries because it's it's not a presidential uh, press conference here. I don't need to just read a list. 
<clears throat> okay, so CEO task force. <laughs> I think Jason that now might be a good time to get out of here. However, I want to remind people, and you touched on it earlier on in, in this episode, I want to remind people that we are now releasing, as you had said, uh, more podcasts. It used to be every other week. Now it's every week. Mm-hmm. And so uh, next week's podcast will be the third episode of Extra Extra Under Whiskey. And this time, sorry. Extra Extra Under Whiskey? <laughs> Someone's brain be, shut off after two words. I know, right? It'll be Extra Extra. It's all about whiskey. And you will be bringing the news story to us. I will. And I will. The good news is... You know, we talked about it in the last episode, but for people who are nervous that it's all about whiskey means the death of comedy, the death of dick jokes. <laughs> I use I use the death of comedy very lightly. We killed comedy in the first episode of One Nation Under Whiskey, mm. and we've been beating it to death ever since. Um, but there are still there is still levity. There are still dick jokes. Uh, there are still double entendres. So. I just imagine people listening. It's mostly about whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just picture people say, wait, it's all about whiskey. There's not going to be a single dick joke. They flip their tables, they light shit on fire. When you see people reaching out to ask, wait a second, does this mean, and you have to talk them off the, the ledge, nope, it's going to be okay, keep listening. It's still the oh, same type of humor. Gosh. It's still the two of us being idiots. Don't worry about it. There, there, There's uh, 150 people. Who, who, as soon as you started saying extra, extra, it's all about whiskey, put a noose around their neck until you mentioned, <laughs> now there's going to be dick jokes. Okay. All right. Still a reason to live. Still a Climb reason. Climb down to from live. the chair. Okay. I'll give it an episode. I'll give <laughs> I'll it an give, episode. I'll give it a go. <laughs> uh, well, on that note, I'm going to say thanks to, to Mark and Jess and Kate for the work that they put into today's episode. Yeah, so um, thank you to all of the, the supporters that we enjoy. Uh, who contributed the questions that you and I got to wax lyrical in response to. And as always, Joshua, thank you for, for your careful editing of all episodes. Without you, A, they wouldn't exist, and B, if they did exist, they would be six hours long. So, <laughs> you are thank, very thank you for sir. doing what you do best and trimming the ends of it all. Oh, like a good moil. <laughs> On that note. <laughs> exactly. On that note. Uh, Cheers, brother. (laughs) Cheers. Stay safe. Stay safe, everybody. Keep washing your hands. Stay indoors. Okay, so I'm very aware that you also need to return to Camp Town, so I will wrap this up. Thank you very much for coming and joining in with this. Thank you. And then Thank you. I'm going to give the final bit of the floor. Oh, boy. To my friend from Chicago. Okay. Is it, uh, on is the it, bottom of his very interesting email, my friend Michael Nolan hmm. uh, told me some stories. Oh, he told shit. me some stories. Uh, all of which are car and Whiskey Geek Tour related oh, stories. No. And they're quite funny. Here we go. But this is bit, Easter egg. You are correct. This is Easter egg. <laughs> one of them ends quite boringly with, on the upside, everyone was safe. So, going to gloss around that one. Uh, I, d- I don't want the story where everyone 
everyone lived happily ever after <laughs> the end. Uh, it, the next sentence says, Jason has definitely got some more embarrassing auto-related events he could tell you. And then it says, just ask him about the shrubbery incident in Keith. <laughs> yep. It has cost him a bottle of cast strength Glen Murray. It's a very funny story. I have photographic evidence, saving it for blackmail later on. Joshua is shaking his head, and when you read this aloud, probably still is. These stories all happened within four days of each other. It was a memorable trip. Uh-huh. Uh... Do you want to share a story oh, about really? some strawberry? Oh, Christ. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. This, okay. Is, this is a good one. I'll tell you real fast. This is the very fast version of this. So we're in a, in a mansion. We've had a mansion in Keith for Ooh. one overnight stay in 2014 for maybe eight of us. Maybe, yeah, maybe eight. Yeah. Um, yeah, eight. And we've all gone out the night before. I've been in charge of the minibus. Uh, They've gone out. Everybody's had a drink. Not me. I was very sensible, very respectful, and very safely driven everybody home at the end of the night. Everyone has gone off to their bedrooms, and everybody has slept. Wake up in the morning, and I think, oh, the van is facing the wrong direction to load it up and get it out of here. While everyone's just getting themselves together, I'm going to go and move the van. And so... I reverse what I think is off the drive, or what I think is along the driveway, and I just have to come off a little bit just to create a bit more angle. And um, <laughs> there's a strange sound from the back of the van. And I think oh, that's weird. I'll just drive forward and I'll go see what I've done. And I put my foot on the accelerator, and the van doesn't go anywhere. And so I put my foot on it a little bit more, and it doesn't go anywhere. But I can hear the wheel spinning now. I think, okay, it's Keith, it's the north of Scotland, it's damp, it's wet, the grass is clearly soaking. And so I, I get out of the van, I look to the back, and sure enough, I'm on wet grass, and my tires have gone down. I think, oh, geez, I'm going to have to get the boys to help me with this one. And so I go around the back just to see how bad the damage is. And there's a maple tree, uh, very small, very small maple tree that the woman loved. It was, it was maybe the way it grew was yeah. so odd. It yeah. was maybe 12 inches above the ground, but then sprawled yeah. out. Yeah. And it looked like a, like a shrubbery, like something that wouldn't hold his car in place. Well, you, you, also, you also saw after it had been run over. It was a little bit higher before that. <laughs> but it wasn't high enough to actually see it out the back of the yeah. minibus. Yeah. And so what had happened was its short trunk had been snapped and the part that was in the ground had actually lift the, lifted the van. And so I wasn't just spinning my wheels on the grass. I was also up in the air uh, off the trunk. And so I go in the house and I tell the boys, boys, you all need to come out. I need your help. Um, I've, I've had an accident. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so they come out and they just... All of them think it's the funniest thing they've seen, and I am hugely embarrassed at half past seven on a, like a Sunday morning. We're off. We're off to Kenna Craig for the ferry, and so they all go around the, the back of the van. They put their shoulder in it, but they also have to lift as they're putting their shoulder yeah, in it, yeah. and they're rocking it back and forth and back and forth, and then boom, it catches, and I get the I get the van back onto the tarmac, get it turned around, it's facing the door, lift the back, folk load up their suitcases. While folk are uh, going inside for their suitcases, 
the woman of the house returns and uh, the woman in charge of the whole thing and all she walks into she'd been out walking her dog and all she walks back into is a van facing the other direction screech tires through the grass a broken over tree and she knew we were there for a whiskey weekend it looked like we had just drunkenly destroyed the entire driveway and she was livid livid and I'm a nice guy. I'm a people pleaser. I, I like people to be happy. She was fucking raging. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, Josh, Joshua's nickname in the company is the diplomat. I was like, Joshy, you got to go to bat for me. And so <laughs> bless him. This is why he's my partner. This is why I love him. He went to bat for me and he just kind of pulled up some bottles from our, our time. He went off to see her. Do you want to pick it up since yeah. you, since I was running far, far in the opposite direction when this part was happening? Yeah, so I I, I, I have no problem with comfort, confrontation. I knew I had some, uh, I had I had some wrinkles to iron out, uh, and then some. And I remember go, going up to her. Now, a little bit of the the story you left out is the day before because we were going to be headed to Glen Murray and, and doing all this stuff during the day. The day before in the morning, we're letting her know who we are, what we're doing. We're on this tour, so on and so forth. And we said, you know, do you want us to bring anything back? You know, because she liked whiskey. So, you know, if you're going to Glen Murray. I'd, I'd love a bottle of Glen Murray. And the only thing that we had to give to her from our time at Glen Murray was, you know, like a, maybe one-sixth of a bottle, right? Had other bottles, but the thing we promised her, it was one-sixth worth. And all I can think as I'm walking up to talk to her is, A, she's going to yell at me because Jason tore up her prize maple tree, and B, the only... <laughs> she mentioned that a fair few times. A fair the, few. The only uh, salve I have in this is this tiny little dregs bottle to give to her. And, um, and so I was kind of scared to give that to her, but I still held it, held it to my side. And I go up and she, she said, there was one word she kept on repeating and I'm having a tough time remembering it now, but it was something along the lines of, you guys are an embarrassment. It was, yeah, disgraceful, Dis I think was That's what words. it was. She yeah. said, this is disgrace. Yeah. You're a disgrace. This is appalling. What a disgrace. I'm like, you know, whatever I said, I'm so sorry. I calmed her down, softened her down a little bit. And I gave her a bottle, but I didn't give her the dregs bottle. And we, we got the clear understanding that we were never to return ever again. And as I'm walking back to the, to the car, I'm thinking, you know what? I should give her what we promised we would give her, even if it's just a little. And I said, do you remember? I went back and said, do you remember that we, we said we would have some Glen Murray for you? And she said, yes, I do. How come you didn't give it to me before? Said, Here you go. She's, she looks at it, rolls her eyes a bit, and just walks in. <laughs> <laughs> and that story has never been shared. So thank you to Michael Nolan for bringing thank you. that up. Thank you, Michael Nolan. And I want to say thank you to everyone else who sent me in uh, snippets of stuff. It was quite fun, actually, asking the nation members. Maybe next time I'll do it 
I'll, I'll cast a wider net and see what other little gems we can uh, dredge up. Right. Yeah, it sounds uh, like you got yeah. some good material from people. So. <laughs> have, have, having been chased out of Keith myself <laughs> on, on two occasions, I can feel your pain. <laughs> Brilliant. Cheers, everybody. Yeah. Thank, Thank you so much. Thank yes. you so much.